get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. around to the near side straight away Manson again to the goal they score through the screen of Bennington the Northeastern collegiate player and the Blues spoil a spectacular performance by Jordan Bennington tonight yeah excellent performance he kept us in the game first period I thought we were good pretty good first period and then the second period we just didn't make enough plays talked about it before the game like you're just going to put it out in the neutral zone. They're going to counter, and it came at us with a lot of speed and didn't kill enough plays in the D zone. 106. That's the number to remember from last night, Alex Ferrario. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Colorado Avalanche had 106 attempts yesterday. 54 shots, 24 of them blocked, or excuse me, 27 of them blocked, and 25 missed the net. Honestly, embarrassing for them that they didn't score more goals. Jordan Bennington just put together one of, if not his, single best performance in a Blues uniform. And that's saying something considering what he did in that 2019 run when he was one of the best hockey players on the face of the earth. 51 saves last night. It's the most by a Blues goalie in a playoff game since at least 2017. And before that, you have to go all the way back to 1993 when Cujo had that unbelievable performance back-to-back games against Toronto. It was an all-time great performance by Jordan Bennington last night. And his team let him down. They weren't able to overcome the avalanche despite his all-time great performance. And that's why it hurts, man. The Blues did not play particularly well. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, they had like a a 12% chance to win that game. They got flat out outplayed. But their goalie stood on his head and he gave you the opportunity to be able to steal one out in Colorado. So if you're looking half glass half full, my God, what a performance by Jordan Bennington. Glass half empty, they couldn't win that one for Jordan Bennington. Yeah, I think that's the part that I would imagine stung for the locker room like it stung for all of us talking about the fact that Jordan Bennington kept you in the game when you were at your worst. And honestly, what was the one thing we talked 
about Jordan Bennington this season and, and kind of were upset about. It's that he didn't do this. And you got that performance against arguably the best offensive team in the National Hockey League. And there was nothing to show for it. And I, I told you guys, man, like it was a frustrating loss last night. Driving home, it still stung. Waking up, it stung. But what does Mike Schultz always tell us, T-Bone? Gosh darn. Oh, nope, not that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Not scratching claw uh, Something either. about a garden. Nope, it's also about making sure you're looking on the optimistic side. And I said it on postgame wow. last night with both of you. I think this is the best case scenario in a loss for the Blues. Because if, if we would have been exiting that game last night, talking about today, you got to go back to Ville Husso, this series might be over. And that's no disrespect to Ville Husso, but I don't know if Ville can steal the game like Jordan Bennington did. And you know your goaltender is up for the task. He talked with John Kelly on Bally Sportsman West last night, and JK asked him if he was tired, and he said, no, this is why we train for this. I fully expect him to have that performance numerous times for the rest of this series against Colorado. And you're going to need it because you will not beat Colorado unless Jordan Bennington does that at least two more times to beat this avalanche squad. Yeah, they need Jordan Bennington. And the nice thing coming out of game one is I now believe Bennington is just flat out back. I, I think this is who you're going to get. And we'll see. Maybe I could be wrong on this, but Jordan Bennington looks like himself again. And this is not a one game sample size. This is from the last three games of the previous series and then dating back to his final six games in the regular season. It's now 10 straight starts that Jordan Bennington just looks freaking awesome. And earlier today, Billy Jaffe was on with the morning show character and Smallman. Here's what he had to say about Benner's performance last night and what it means in the bigger grand scheme of things in this series. You got to take the positive out of that. Not just, that, not that just in that game, he kept the minute. It was a one-shot game. But also you say, is he, is he back back? I know he's trending upwards near the end of the season. But you take the positive out of that and you say, well, guys, we can't be worse than what we were in game one. So if we're somewhat better in Jordan's playing like that, let's give it a go. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, if you're going to go the optimistic side, I'm willing to walk down this path with you, Alex. Let's do it. Oh, you want to live longer? All right, let's go. If you want to go down the optimistic side of things, Jordan Bennington is now 3-1 and one in the playoffs. He's allowed a total of eight goals in his four starts in the postseason against Minnesota and Colorado. He has a 945 save percentage in those four starts. He has been dynamite. Even last night, 945 save percentage last night against Colorado. He gave up 54 shots on net, the Blues did, and he saved 94% of them for you. Man, I don't need him to save 94% moving forward in this series. If he could be around 92, I feel pretty darn good about where the Blues are going to be at. They are not going to play that poorly the rest of this series. There's just no way. We've watched this team all year long. They are better than what they showed last night. Now, will it show in game two? I don't know. That the elevation seems to impact them in a way that I was unprepared for. That second period was jarring. But if they've got this version of Jordan Bennington back, it completely changes the way that I look at this series. And I already thought the Blues were going to win it in seven. Uh, in all reality, can you guys think of one bad goal Jordan Bennington has given up so far in the playoffs? And, and I, I, think I know that there was one in game five if I'm not mistaken that we looked at and we said ah gotta he's make that definitely going to want that one back but at the end but, of I mean there might be one that I can think of that's the, and I know that's a tough thing to ask right now on the cusp of all of this and trying to get it in the back of your head but like the point is 
It's not glaring. If I would have asked that question to you guys in January. Oh, I could have pointed out a lot. I'm sure we could have sat here and there spent 15 minutes. There was one that went off of the sidewall and went in, Alex. I don't no, know that was really that. Huso in the net and went off of skating into the back of the net. Yeah, that wasn't pretty. No, no, we're talking about the regular season. 99% oh. sure that was Jordan Bennington. Well, I think it was one, against Calgary. I remember I'm, I'm Calgary 1% sure that it was Philly Huso. Okay. <laughs> so how about that? And that's the thing for me. Like, look at the goals that he gave up last night. You're talking about... A goal that was made the initial save and the player was standing right in front of the net and was able to smack it home. And then you had two deflections where he saw nothing. So for me, Jordan Bennington should be causing, and I don't want to say problems for Colorado, but Colorado now is going into their locker room after a win thinking, all right, we got to figure out how to be better against Jordan Bennington because you missed opportunities to capitalize. And on the flip side of this, since we're talking goaltenders, to me, Darcy Kemper looked like a guy who could be beat. I I don't know because the Blues didn't put enough at him yeah. for me to but feel if you look one at the way or the other. But you look at the two goals that beat him, Ryan O'Reilly with a really nice top shelf backhander and Jordan Kyra with a low shot. Like those are both goals. good shots, but I, I see what you're saying. Those are, goal, those are shots, though, that Bennington makes the saves. And to me, that means that I think he could beat Darcy Kemper. Darcy Kemper is not Patrick Waugh on one side. Jordan Agreed. Bennington showed that he could be. Yeah, I just don't know if I can go on the narrative of Kemper's I agree he's beatable, but I don't know if I can take away that narrative from game one. Just as BK said, one, they didn't have enough offense. Two, the, that first goal from O'Reilly, it was just an incredible <clears> shot by O'Reilly, and it was a fluky turnover by McCarr, which, <laughs> how about that? McCarr's not perfect. Uh, and then the second one, uh, the second one was Kyra got shot, and honestly, I think That's he, a take away from the first game. Yeah, McCarr's not, not perfect. perfect. We acted I mean, like this guy was awesome. Alexi Torbchenko laid four shots and no points look, in the first look, game. Look, look, he had a turnover that led to a Alexi goal. Alexi Torbchenko not... laid him on his ass. That felt fun to watch. Did you know he played 29 minutes last night? McCarr did? <laughs> I, I honestly didn't even realize that until right now looking down at the overtime. I, I understand. But that's still unreal. How many points did he get? Zero. That's was all he that minus? Uh, he was uh, even even for the game. He was on on the ice for one of the goals. Darn. But but to the point on Bennington, Bennington, if he continues to play like that, look, I still view the Blues as the, there's no question yet. The Blues are the underdogs in this series. I still like the Colorado Avalanche in this series. But if Benner can play like that, we talked about BK give you that 92 save percentage, and I think that was the worst we've seen from the Blues in this series. You get that kind of Bennington, you're going to be able to steal not just two games. You're going to be able to steal this series. This this is going to have to be that series where you had, and it's different because I think the Avalanche are better than what I'm about to say, but that year that Jake Allen stole that series from the Minnesota Wild. There wasn't the clear cut. The Wild were way better than the Blues, or like in this one where I think the Avalanche are much better than the St. Louis Blues. I, I think Bennington has the potential to steal this series. If we're talking about the Blues winning this series, I don't think we're going to be talking about an offensive turnaround. I think you'll be talking about it. It's not going to be the main story. The main story is going to be Jordan Bennington will steal this series for the Blues. That's what has to happen for them to advance to the second round. 65780 is the air cover service X-Line from the 314. Guys, is this just me or were the abs dumping the puck into the offensive zone in a way that made it very difficult for Jordan Bennington to handle? That's not just you. That happened. Uh, they made an adjustment prior to game one that the Wild didn't make in six games in the damn series against the Blues. It was unbelievable. Jordan Bennington changed that series against Minnesota with his ability to handle the puck behind the net. And they just kept dumping it back behind the net. They just kept doing it every single time, like clockwork. And we all assumed going into game six, ah, they're definitely not going to do that again. Chris Kerber told us on this show how they can attack the Blues that would make it more difficult for the Blues to get the puck out of their own end. Guess what they did? The same thing over and over again in the game six. 
We said this going into yesterday. The Avs have a better coaching staff, a more experienced coaching staff. They will make the adjustments that the Avs did not. So, yeah, or excuse me, that the Wild did not. Yesterday, you saw them make those adjustments. And the Blues are going to have to find another way to be able to get the puck out of their own own end. Because yesterday, that ain't it. I don't know what the adjustment is. Craig Berube is a smart man. He'll find something that I believe will work at some point, whether it's game two, three, or four. But whatever happened yesterday, that ain't going to work because they had way too many giveaways in their own end in game number one. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In 15 minutes, we're going to get into the Cardinals. The depth of this bullpen, it is saving their bacon early on in this season. But coming up next, if the Blues are going to win this series, they are going to need more of their depth of scoring to be able to step up. Otherwise, no chance they win this series. What's going on? I burned burned my tongue with a coffee, and then I squinted, and my contact fell out. That was a really bad series of events there. I was hoping we could power through, but... BK got distracted. That kind of day. We'll talk about the Blues next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's all about work and competing. Really, it is. I mean, you're you're you gotta you gotta fight for space. You gotta fight for pucks, uh, especially this time of year and especially against this team. It really boils down to that and being connected. You gotta have numbers around the puck. They're a little bit too spread out, uh, too one on one, and they're not trying to possess pucks enough. The Blues need more out of their depth of scoring. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11:18. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The line that I'm going to hone in on is the Robert Thomas line. I think they need more out of them. I know you guys are going to talk more about some of the other guys that need to step up as well. It's all good. You can talk about whoever you want to. All of them need to be better. Ryan O'Reilly. The li- Other than him. <laughs> the line that I think needs to be better, though, or the Blues can't, cannot win this series, in my mind, is the Robert Thomas line. Pavel Buchnevich and Robert Thomas are still without a goal in the playoffs. Buchnevich and Tarasenko have 16 and 15 shot attempts in the playoffs, respectively. That line had a combination of 84 goals and 235 points for the Blues this season. They were invisible last night. The Nazem Kadri line, they destroyed them. Landeskog, Kadri, they ended up, I think it was 17 to 1 in shots against that line last night. They've got to be better. And unless they step up, Alex, this team cannot win this series. And really, it's, it's Vladimir Tarasenko. That guy has to be better. He wasn't skating last night. There were multiple instances in which they had the puck in their own end, and you could see the puck was available to Vladdy. And it wasn't that he lost a puck battle. It's that he didn't join the puck battle. And that's just unacceptable. That's the kind of thing that I can guarantee you today when they are meeting and Craig Burby is going through some of the film from last night, he's going to be honing in on that kind of stuff. And I don't expect to see the same thing in game two. Yeah, out of your 25 shots on goal... Last night, 10 of them came from defensemen. Five of them came from Ryan O'Reilly and two of them came from your fourth line and zero shots on goal came from Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich. That can't happen. You you cannot win a series if you were relying on one player to do it all in Ryan O'Reilly and uh, Craig Berube knows it. I mean, he broke them up last night to try and get them going and then went back to them. 
um, hoping that something might spark a flame and, and nothing took place. I think you got to break the lines up, but it's not just those three. Those are very impactful players, but you've got one goal from Brandon Sod. And Brandon Todd had three goals against the Blues in four games when he was with the Avalanche. You've got zero goals from Ivan Barbashev. Um, I know Braden Shen is dinged up. He is not 100%. So it's hard for me to to judge him here. But you got to get a little more from Braden Shen right now. Like, everybody's going to have to dig deeper. Shen didn't have a shot on goal last night. Shen does a lot more, though. So that's why I'm not sitting here nitpinking at Shen because he does a lot on that top line. But... We've talked so much about nine, 20 or more goal scorers on this Blues roster. We've talked so much about a career year for Justin Falk. And I know Tory Krug's not playing, but when Tory Krug was here, there was so much discussion of how good this offense is. And when you're getting 25 shots on goal, I believe Darren Pang said last night that that's the lowest shot attempts by any team in a game in the playoffs thus far. And I'll double check that, but Shot attempts or shots on goal? Shot attempts. Okay. Regardless. I don't know how I would look that up. I don't know how either. <laughs> I'm going to go off panger here. I'll see if I can find it. Regardless, you have to be deeper than that. And it's the narrative that Craig Berube said after game three against Minnesota. He said, we got to have guys who are going to work harder. Got to have guys who are going to go to the front of the net, battle for space, get through these. I mean, Jared Bednar basically looked at his best line and said, we're not putting you up against a lesser or quality line. You're going up against Ryan O'Reilly's line. Go out there and figure it out. And they scored a goal. The Blues are going to have to do that with Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich. You can break it up all you want, but if those guys aren't scoring together where they have been so good this season, what makes you think they're going to score apart? Yeah, that's a good point. If you if they can't score together, I, I'm not sure they will be scoring apart. They they have to find a way to get something going. Another name I don't think you mentioned him too. You mentioned Sada, his, his center, Barbershev. Barbershev is going to have to be better in this series as well. I mean, we talked about it last night on the extended pregame show. This Blues team cannot win without the depth of scoring. They they just cannot. It's going to be hard to stop the Nathan McKinnons, the Cadres, and all of those guys. The top dogs for the Colorado Avalanche because they're going to get their share. Now it just comes down to, can your depth of scoring prevail? And if it doesn't, you're going to see results like last night where they may stand a chance because Bennington is going to stand on his head. But, I mean, that game could have easily have been 5-2 five, five to two the final score. I mean, the Colorado had so many opportunities. I think they hit four posts. They had a whiff from Eric Johnson to where Bennington was able to grab it with the glove somehow. So, I mean, if you don't get your depth of scoring, you can't seem to figure a way to get these guys going. Then, yeah, this series isn't going to be much of a series. It's, it could be over in four or five games. I still believe they're going to get it going. Like, I I just, I refuse to believe that the offense that was so good all season long, and I mentioned the numbers coming into this series. If you're looking at five-on-five goals, the Blues were basically equal this year with the Colorado Avalanche, and yesterday they were completely outplayed at five-on-five. You look at some of the shots on net, and I understand... Some people get frustrated because they feel like the the Avalanche are a team that goes quantity over quality, and the Blues are the opposite of that. I get all that. When it's 50-25 to 25 in favor of one team over the other, I do think that's re- relatively telling. When you've got 16 high-danger chances for the Abs and you had five in the game at 5-on-5, five five, that's pretty significant for the Blues last night. That can't happen again. Like I understand that you, I agree with what you said in the first segment, Tanner. If the Blues are going to win this series, it will be in large part because Jordan Bennington won the series for them. Totally agree with that. You cannot have repeat performances of that if you expect to be able to win consistently in this series. You've got to have more from your offense. And I think it starts, for me, with that Thomas line. I'm fascinated, though, Alex, to find out 
what does this look like in terms of the lines? Do they stick with that Thomas line? Because they did switch up the other two. The, the first and the third lines, they got swapped up a little bit going into that third period last night. The one that didn't change was the Thomas tarasenko Buchnevich line. So I'm curious to see if that ends up staying the same going into game number two or if they decide to jumble these things up and try something a little bit different. Yeah, I, I honestly, and I know you're substituting defense for offense here, but I think that's the, the, the way you're going to have to go with this. I, I think you take a shot at, you keep, you put sod back up there with O'Reilly and Perron because sod seems to play when he or play better when he plays with playmaking players like that and no disrespect, but Ivan Barbashev is just not doing that right now. I think you break up Buchnevich, Thomas and Tarasenko when you put Cairo with Thomas and then, uh, honestly, pick the winger that you want to go with that. My preference would be Buchnevich because he's a little bit more defensive-minded than Vladimir Tarasenko, but you're creating a lot of offense with that line. We know for a fact that Thomas and Kairou can create offense together. You are taking a massive hit in terms of defensive awareness, but you need offense. And I mean, last night they gave up 50 shots, so at this point... Like, yeah, yeah. I'm and, not sure how much worse we can get defensively. And, and I think what you might really consider, and this is just me, Craig Bruby knows better than I do, I think you might consider moving Tyler Bozak up to the third line or Alexi Toropchenko up to the third line, put Shen in the middle, and put Tarasenko on the wing. So that's the other thing. They have to be better on the faceoff dot. Oh, they were awful. In game two, because in game number one, they ended up losing 34 of the 53 faceoffs that were available to them. It was 65% in favor of Colorado. And guys, we said coming into this series, one of the places where the Blues do have a clear advantage is on faceoffs, and it's with Ryan O'Reilly and Robert Thomas. And Ryan O'Reilly was okay last night on the faceoff. You expect him to be a little better, honestly. He won 43%. He won uh, 12 of the 28 that he was on there for. It's Robert Thomas, and this is all around. He looked a little off yesterday, whether it was the timing of his passes, trying to skate through the neutral zone, being tough on the puck, which I think towards the end of that wild series, it seemed like he had figured things out as to how the playoff games are going to be played against him. They're playing him physically. All of that was off. And then he won four of his 15 faceoff opportunities. And that just, man, if this team's going to be able to win in this series, you can't lose in the areas where you have an advantage. Like the the special teams last night, exactly what you expect out of them. You have an advantage there. They took advantage of that. The face-offs is one area where you feel like you should be able to win 60% of those. And last night, they lost 65%. Especially in the offensive zone. I mean, when you can't yeah. garner momentum like you did in the in overtime, you got to start winning some face-offs. And I know the goal that was scored against the Blues to win it was a Blues face-off win, but that goes into the other thing that has to change. And this is on the forwards. You got to start winning some board battles. You lost a board battle, which resulted in the first goal of this game where one Colorado Avalanche player beat two of your Blues players. It's going to be puck battles. It's everything that Baruby said. It's winning fights. It's winning battles. It's doing the little things that were so successful for you in beating Minnesota in three straight. That's the massive adjustment you're going to have to make against this Colorado Avalanche going into game number two. And it's going to rely very heavily on some of your best players being your best players. And we talked, you know, we mentioned, I said, I'm not sure they could get much worse defensively if they wanted to go more of those offensive mindset with those forward lines that Alex threw out there. But part of that, too, is, I mean, you're going to limit more shots by winning some of these faceoffs because last night they weren't good in their own end either. And then that allows the Colorado Avalanche to uh, get shots on net and then they can circle the puck around. I mean, how many times last night were we, were we were going, and this was part of the reason they couldn't generate <clears> offense, too, was they just got pinned in their own zone multiple times last night. I, I think at one point, 
Callie Rosen was on the ice for almost two minutes in a shift. Yep. And, and, and they were talking beforehand about how they needed a short yeah. shifts. Yeah. So they got caught in that because, one, they were losing those faceoffs. Two, they're getting trapped in their zone. They and can't they're turning get it the puck out. over. And then when they do get out of their zone, what do they got to do? They basically just got to dump it and try and get fresh bodies on the yeah. ice. And at that point, here come the Colorado yeah. Avalanche right back at you. You can just see how you have that snowball effect, which then leads to the Avalanche. J- okay. We're not doing that right here. JR Wait, had on, a, that was a good one. No, it wasn't. JR had a great... You used it last night, man. You used it, it last night. It was good night. then, too. JR, JR had a great quote in his article on The Athletic today just talking about it, and he said the Blues are going to have to find a way to not make it look like a skills competition where the Avalanche players are at the skills competition and the Blues players are the parking cones. And, and he's not wrong. I, I mean, that second period, you basically puck-watched while Colorado skated around you. And... I realize that altitude has an impact on this. I realize that, you know, maybe the rest versus rust conversation is just a dumb conversation because the rest obviously helped Colorado. But you you are going to have to find a way to eliminate their speed through the neutral zone. And if you don't, they're going to keep doing that. Can we can we all agree that on this show, I don't care what anybody else says, we don't have to talk about that silly rest versus rust conversation anymore. Like, it, it's just... It feels absurd. like a shot at my playoff preview show rundown that I put together last night. No, like, I understand why people talk about it. It makes sense to me. But, like, if you're a good team, you're probably going to be good after you had a lot of rest. And whether it's in the first period or last night, it felt like it took a little bit of time for the Colorado Avalanche to be able to really feel out the blues and what this series was going to be. I think the first period is them getting their legs back under. It took them all of 15 minutes Mm -hmm. to figure it out. And if you're a really good team, that's what it takes. Last year, the Colorado Avalanche, people point back to that and be like, ah, ha, ha, clearly they swept out of the first round and then they lost four out of six against the Vegas Golden Knights. That shows you don't want that rest. No, they they won the first two games. Then they lost the next four. It's just a... To me, a silly conversation. I'm glad the Blues had, what was it, four days off? Yeah. Because they were yeah. able to have a little bit of rest and hopefully get closer to full health. Hopefully it's beneficial for the guys on defense, and maybe we get some good news with Marco Scandella and Tory Krug later today. I'm not expecting much, but, man, they desperately needed a guy like Tory Krug last night creating offense for him from the blue line. Yeah, and I I think at this point I, I would like to see Marco Scandella back out there again as well. Um, as much as yeah. Callie Rosen has played well for the Blues, he gave them what they needed. <laughs> And last night did not seem like one of his best games. Uh, Marco Scandella being able to push some guys away from the front of the net. I know he's inconsistent with it, but he does have that ability in him. If he could do that a couple of times a game, that's something this team is desperately needing right now. Coming up in 15 minutes, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. But next, the depth of the Cardinals bullpen, it has been significant for them early on this season. It's helping them pull out some of these big wins. We'll get into that and the impact we're clearly seeing from Skip Schumacher coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals bullpen is keeping them afloat right now. They didn't make the sexiest of moves in the offseason. Nick Whitgren. <laughs> Have you seen Aaron Packy Brooks? Packy Naughton. Bring back TJ McFarland. Counting on some of these young guys to be able to take another step forward as well. 
Man, they've been super impressive so far this year. If you just look at the overall results, you look over in the National League. Let me see. How many how many teams in the National League have a better bullpen ERA than the Cardinals so far this year? Top five, top five, top five, top five. Zero. Top five. Oh. Zero teams in the National League have a better ERA yeah. from their bullpen so far this season than the St. Louis Cardinals. They're at a 3.2 on the season. And, man, yesterday was yet another example of this. They go to the bullpen. They needed a big moment from Hennessy Cabrera. It felt like a really big spot for him there. And he's able to come through. And that's the kind of thing this team's going to continue to need while this offense tries to get itself back on track. The bullpen's been awesome. And they built depth in the offseason because last year you could see, whew, they've got like three guys you trust and everybody else. It is a panic attack every time they come out of that bullpen. This year I don't feel that way, man. Other than Andre Pallante, of course, yesterday, rough day for him. He's been really good, though, otherwise. B- big season so far from this bullpen. Yeah, I think the only guy that you don't feel comfortable with currently is TJ McFarlane. Would that be the only one that we all agree is the one that we're just not comfortable with when he comes out of the bullpen? And I know I said it kind of tongue in cheek, but Packy Naughton has actually been better than TJ McFarlane from the left side. But I I like what they have going right now. I mean, when you have Giovanni Gallegos, who once again was locked in last night to be able to get out of that inning cleanly. Albert Pujols, I don't trust either. That's fair. I mean, that's a really good one. Just give up the home run. But I tell you what, if it's a fifteen to one game, I'm okay with it. Just wanted to throw that one in there. I'd rather have Pujols in a fifteen to one game than TJ McFarlane. How's that? That's That's fair. Yeah. I liked what Ryan Helsley is providing. I like Genesis Cabrera. I mean, honestly, you have a lethal five right now. I would argue in terms of you trust any single moment they come out of the bullpen. Helsley, Gallegos, Cabrera, Cabrera. Trying to think who else is in there. Whitgren. I mean, honestly, I've really liked Whitgren. I know that some people. I like Whitgren. It's, it's such it, and go. I put Palante in there, and I know he had that one bad outing last night, but I still like Palante. Like, I still don't get nervous when he comes out of the bullpen. Totally with you. And to have five guys, and, and again, if Packy Naughton continues to do this, he might get a little bit more trust from me than what he has had prior to this run that he's put on. And I think the difference this year is those middle guys, the middle relievers like yeah. Nick Whitker. And I brought up his name. I think your your trust level in this bullpen as a whole, it comes down to where are you at right now in those fifth and sixth innings? If you need to go to your pen for a big moment there, how much do you trust those guys? And so far this year, Whitgren's been the guy that they've gone to most often in those situations. Do you guys know he has 17 appearances on the season? Leads major league baseball. He, it's amazing. I mean, he's a guy that has been counted on for big time spots and he's getting ground balls at a pretty high clip so far this year. His ERA is a little bloated at 4.0, but if you look at some of the expected numbers, they're a little better than that. He's been really solid so far this year from for the Cardinals, and he's exactly what they wanted. He doesn't walk a whole lot of guys. No, he's not getting strikeouts, but he's pitching to contact, and they're not hitting the ball particularly hard against him. So uh, he's the guy that, for my money, has really changed the way that you view the pin compared to where it was at this point last year. Yeah, I definitely think it's those middle guys that are the reason you feel much more comfortable in this bullpen because last year, you said at the beginning of the segment, you legitimately had three guys, and that was it at the beginning of the year. And then they got the Garcias, and they got... McFarlane, I can't remember who else was in that bullpen at the end of the last year. I guess Whitley. Whitley was pitching well at the end of the season. But this year, you feel confident in all of them. I, I, I get it. Palante had the rough night last night where he had three straight walks. I think he'll ultimately be fine. I'm glad you mentioned Packy Naughton, Alex, because Packy Naughton, people will say, wow, that, well, what are you talking about, Packy Naughton? He's got a decent, he's got a pretty high ERA, if I'm not mistaken. Well, the only time he's allowed runs. Zero. He's got a far, zero ERA. He's got a zero ERA out of the bullpen. 
He's allowed three runs on the year when he came when he started that one game. And that but yeah, was, out of the bullpen. And he, that was because I think Ollie went one inning to too long him. with Packy. Yeah. You were trying to make him an actual starter when he was just an opener for you. You went five innings, I think, or tried to get three five. Th- three and a third. Three and a third. So you him. tried yeah. to get almost four out of him. Yeah, so I, I Packy not to me has been fine. In fact, I think he's been, as you mentioned, better than TJ McFarlane. <laughs> They have everything they need in that bullpen. They've got the strikeout, high leverage guys in a Helsley. They've got Gallegos that can do it. Cabrera can get the ground balls. They've got the ground ball artists in Whitgren. I don't know what to categorize Walsh as yet. I think he's more of a strikeout flamethrower, if you want to call him that. And then they've got the left-handed side options, too, that are pretty good. So the bullpen is well-balanced, and there's a lot of guys you trust. If they can get McFarland going, he's the biggest question mark for me. I, I have not been all that impressed with Whitgren, but he's been fine. So Nick you have Whitgren everything you want. a perfect sixth-inning guy. A perfect sixth-inning guy. <laughs> what do you have against Nick Wickren? I mean, he is allowing the highest batting average against in his career so far. Who would you rather have, Nick Wickren or but Drew Verhagen? And his, I get his he already bloated, but I just haven't been impressed. Who would you rather have, Nick Wickren or Aaron Brooks? The expected batting average so far against Nick Wickren is the lowest hey, of his career at 232. I didn't 232. say expected, did I? I said his batting average. What's his roar bacon? Is 325. Yeah, it's one of the best in baseball. He's top 5% in baseball right now in terms of the expected hey, woe bacon. I didn't say expected. Whoa I said his batting average. Yeah. He's he's been really good so far this year. The quality of the contacts against him has been awful. What he's which asking is good you, for the pitching side of things. T Bone is why do you hate Nick Whitgren? That's what I'm saying. I just haven't been impressed. Is, I get nervous is, is when Whitgren comes Rogers? into games. No, I don't. I think Whitgren is probably a great guy. Actually, <laughs> he uh, seems to be an yeah. awesome dude. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I every time he comes into the game, I feel I get nervous and I feel like they're going to give up a run. That's just how I feel when Nick Whitgren comes into the game. That's because he doesn't trust the Cardinals' defense. Yeah. Speaking of their defense, oh. that's played up so far this season. See what he just did there. And if Oof, you look at the way that the Cardinals are going to have to win while their offense has been struggling, and by the way, yes, we will get to that side of things. We'll do that uh, coming up in the er, well, in the twelve like o'clock hour. Yesterday, yeah, get being offensive problem. It's part of the issue. Uh, the Cardinals' offense has been lackluster so far this season in terms of its consistency. But what they have done an excellent job of is winning on the margins, and one of those things that they've done really well is stealing bases. Guys, we got to give a lot of credit to Skip Schumacher. For the way that he's made his presence felt so far this season. Do you know the Cardinals lead Major League Baseball with 32 stolen bases on the season? They're first in the league. And the other thing they've done is they're preventing the caught stealings as well. Typically, when you attempt a whole lot of stolen bases, you're going to get caught a decent amount. The Cardinals have successfully stolen bases on 32 of their 35 attempts so far this year. Wow. It's about a 90% clip that they're at right now. That's excellent. And Skip Schumacher, I remember when we talked to him, it was around this time last year when the Cardinals were facing the San Diego Padres, and we asked him about, hey, how do you, with a clearly analytically driven front office, how do you convince them that it's smart to steal bases? Because a lot of the analytics people would tell you "Eh, it's not even worth the potential of losing out on that out. The out is more valuable than the stolen base that you're potentially going to get. And he said, listen, if you're good at it, it makes sense. And the Cardinals so far this year have been excellent at it, better than any other team in the sport. And part of me really didn't know if that was going to be a thing this season, because as much as we sit here and talk about wanting to see the stolen bases and Skip Schumacher coming in, you just felt like it wasn't going to turn into what it is. And it's unfortunate right now because the offense just isn't helping that out. You're getting the stolen bases, but you're not scoring a lot of runs. You're not scoring the guys when they put themselves into runners and scoring position. But I do think that will change. And I do think that when you start to get those bats a little bit more lively, that's where that really pays off. But 
I love it. And I love the guys that are doing it. You got Tommy Edmond and Harrison Bader who are always there. But Brennan Donovan is just saying, blanket, I'm up here and I'm going to start running. Like when he gets on base, he is letting that flow flow. I was going to say flow go. Close enough. Damn, that was a better one. That's what you need, though. You need some of these guys that are just coming up and saying, blanket, Skip Schumacher is here. We like to run. Let's do it. And I think that's what the mantra seems to be a little bit. And Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond so far this year each have nine stolen bases. They are in the National League. Uh, those two are, yeah, currently leading the National League That's with awesome. nine stolen bases apiece. They're both top five in Major League Baseball. And if you look at them, they are 18 out of 19 on their stolen base attempts so far this season. This was one of my big frustrations. You guys know I love Harrison Bader. One of my big frustrations with him, though, is why aren't you stealing more bases? Why? I don't understand. Well, you got to get on base to steal bases. <laughs> Come on, man. You're unbelievably fast. Fair point. You're a pretty... When you do it, you've been good at it in the past. He had 15 stolen bases in 2018. Never had more than 11 in any other season in his major league career. Last year, he had nine. He's already at nine so far this year in 35 games started for the Cardinals. So I'm happy to see that it seems like Skip Schumacher has gone to both of those guys and said, hey, when you get on base, we are running because we've got the ability to get you to second base. That's as good as an extra base hit at that point. So I'm happy to see that they've done a little bit more of that, and I hope that that's something that continues for the Cardinals. And I think the number's even going to go up more, especially if Tyler O'Neill gets going, because I think he'll be a guy yep. that'll be running too because he's got the speed of a Harrison Bader. And, and if he starts getting on base and starts playing and starts sitting for average like we're talking about and he's getting on, I, I bet they will start sending Sosa him too. too. So Sosa's another one. Yes, yeah, Sosa's got some pretty good speed. Honestly, I don't. I'm not sure Goldie has the wheels anymore. But Goldie could be a guy that's got three so far this year. Wow, <laughs> that is fundy. Big fundy could end up with ten. Albert Pujols is going to have one by the end of the season. Goldie has. I don't know what the number is, but I remember John Denton had told told us this one day when we were on the field. Goldschmidt has the longest consecutive successful stolen base run in all of Major League Baseball right now. Now, that spans over a couple of years. So, in the last three years, he is 16 for 16 in stolen bases. So, I'm guessing this goes back to the 2019 season. He had three that year as well. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he's pretty good. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Shane Knighty. He was on the broadcast last night for Turner Sports. What did he see from that game? What can the Blues take away from that one to try to change things going into game at number two? We'll talk to Shane Knighty about that coming up at 12 o'clock. Coming up Next, though, 65780 is the cover service hex line. Questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is your comfort service tax line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey guys, where do the Cardinals rank in terms of outfield production so far this season? It feels like that's where the biggest drawback has been since last year. This is interesting. Um, looking this up, Alex, the Cardinals are currently 25th in outfield OPS. They're at a 610 OPS this year from their outfield. That is not good. Last year, they were seventh in Major League Baseball. That is very good. So they went from a 782 OPS from the outfield last year to 610 OPS this year. That's a difference of about 170 points. That is a massive gap. And there's where your offense has gone. 
Basically, the difference between your offense last year and this year is Tyler O'Neill isn't hitting this year. That That's it. And I know that it we would like it to be more complicated than that, but it's not as if you got a ton of production offensively from your shortstops last year. Paul Goldschmidt has been himself. Nolan Arenado has been an MVP candidate since the start of the year. Your catchers have actually been better offensively than they were last year. Tommy Edmonds been himself. Harrison Bader has been okay. He's taken a little bit of a step back, but offensively, he wasn't great at this point last year either. And Dylan Carlson is looking more like himself over the last three weeks. The difference between last year and this year is very simple. You aren't getting anything out of Tyler O'Neill this time around. Yep. And that's the reason this offense has been dry in so many games, because you don't have Tyler O'Neill. You don't have that third bat. And we spent all offseason talking about they now have those three lethal bats, and you can build the offense around them. And when you don't, now you're searching for somebody to step up big, and you're not getting it right now. See, I'm not going to throw it all on Tyler O'Neill is why we're not seeing this offense as a whole. I, he's probably the biggest contributing factor of this, but I, the three outfielders have to be better. I mean, they, they do. I mean, Carlson's Bader, been good for the last three Carlson's weeks. Carlson's been though. good the last three weeks, but he's, his numbers aren't up there yet to where you're expecting. And then Harrison Bader's been, like you mentioned, he's taking a step back. I agree Carlson's playing better. The, the three outfielders as a whole, though, have to be better as we're getting into this season because you look at their overall numbers and it's not what you were expecting heading into the year. And I get I get why it is. It's because it's from the slow starts from all three of them. Uh, Tyler O'Neill definitely carrying the carrying the brunt from the, the three of them. But I, I, I'm i not going to blame the offense solely on him. And the reason that they are above 500 right now with the way the offense is played is because Edmund has exceeded expectations. Goldie got hotter than... <laughs> sooner rather than later and then Nolan Arnado was back to Nolan Arnado MVP type form uh, otherwise you'd be talking about a team potentially being around 500 if not below 500 the thing is I didn't expect anything offensively out of Bader like anything you get out of him offensively is is a plus he's a defensive prowess guy I, I expected him to be close to what he was last year and I, I just haven't seen that yet this year okay I, th- that's fair I don't expect him to be that again I think he's a 700-ish OPS guy. And he's been below that, but I think he'll be somewhere around there by the end of the season. Uh, Yesterday, I thought it was really telling when you looked at the lineup. They had Yadier Molina in the first game batting fifth, and then they had Corey Dickerson in the second game batting fifth. That's that's the difference in your lineup construction from where where you would like it to be. If Tyler O'Neill was himself, he's batting in the top four regularly, maybe even fifth. And then suddenly you feel a whole heck of a lot better because yesterday when you've got in that first game, for example, Yachty batting fifth and in that one, you had Juan Yepes batting cleanup. If you've got like Yepes five, O'Neal four, and then maybe you're able to go Carlson six, that feels a lot better than batting Yachty or Molina in the five spot in, in that game. So that I think that's probably the biggest difference to me. Uh, six, five, seven, eight, oh, is your comfort service text line from the three, one, four Tanner. This one goes to you. I feel like Goldie is a year. I feel like this is a year year that Goldie can win the MVP. Who would you pick from the Cardinals to be the most likely MVP? Oh, man. I may go with Goldie because I guys, I'm falling in love with the big Fundy because he is playing unbelievable baseball right now. His average. We were talking about this. I think it was the first like two weeks of the year. First, like two and a half weeks. He was hitting below. I think it was. 200 and he had a slugging percentage below 200 
he is now hitting after yesterday's doubleheader where in that second game he was, I think, three for three at minimum with two doubles, and he drove in a couple of runs. He's now hitting over 300. He is hitting 321, has a 397 on base, a 530 slug, and has an OPS of 927. He has, I believe, surpassed. Uh, he's close. He's only about nine points behind Arnato in OPS now. I think Goldie could hit for more average than Arnato. I don't know if he'll hit as many home runs, and then he's going to probably have maybe handful more extra bases potentially because i think he could hit for more doubles and get closer to arnado i think it might be goldie over nolan arnado for the cardinals mvp i hear what you're saying bet on it on fanduel by the way no it's DraftKings sportsbook and i hear what you're saying but it's it's uh, incorrect nolan arnado is your mvp paul goldsman in his last 25 games is batting 400 Uh, oh yeah with 16 extra base hits in 24 games wow how do you have this much energy man it's unbelievable he's been awesome i'm going a leadoff hitter i'm going nolan arnado as well and on that note coming up in about 15 minutes or so the cardinals have two members of the mv3 going is their third member of that group starting to get hot adam wayne i had an interesting thought on that earlier today we'll let you hear that coming up at 12 15 shane knighty former nhl player now an analyst for turner sports also does some work for the Vegas Golden Knights TV side of things as well. We'll talk to him about what he saw last night from the Blues versus the Abs and what the Blues can reverse the trends with coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Loss last night for the St. Louis Blues alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. They lose last night in overtime, three to two against the Colorado Avalanche, although Jordan Bennington was absolutely tremendous. So you take the good with the bad in that one. Move on to game number two. Hope that one goes better for you. And right now we're talking it all over via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Shane Knighty is a former NHL player, now an analyst for Turner Sports. He was in the building yesterday for that game between the Blues and the Avs. Shane, we appreciate the time as always, man. What was your biggest takeaway from game number one between these two teams? Well, obviously, I think he touched on it. Jordan Bennington, you know, if not for him, it uh, could have been a lot over a little bit earlier than it going to overtime. But, uh, you know, th- this Colorado team's for for real if you let them play their way. And, uh, you know, I covered the, them against Nashville. This game kind of reminded me of the, the Connor Ingram game, the, the third-string goalie of Nashville who had an unbelievable game to push it to overtime. And um, I, I just think the Blues – you know, that's their first game. that They've got to, you know, be aware now of what they're up against. I think they can handle it. There's a certain way they need to play Colorado. I don't think they got to their game, quite obviously. And, uh, you know, maybe a bit of a bit of a wake-up call. And they make the adjustments. I think Craig Bruby is an excellent coach. And, and, you know, they'll look at things and make sure they're prepared because uh, they're going to need a lot more here in game two. Shane, I'm glad you brought up uh, just the Avalanche versus the Predators because not only did you cover that game for TNT, but you also covered for the Vegas Golden Knights. You're the color commentator. You did that series last season between Colorado and Vegas. What what do you remember from that series? Like Colorado is obviously beatable, but how are they beatable? Oh, and, I, and exactly the same. Remember, game one, they got spanked. Everybody said, well, this series is over. Uh, Vegas, so you go back to last year, they lost game two down two games. And, you know, they, they adjusted and switched things. And what you got to do to Colorado is you've got to force them. You've got you've to put pucks down deep. You've got to establish the forecheck. And that's what Brube said 
you know, the key was going to be. They didn't really get to it. I think, you know, an example, that was first goal. Pressure, turnover, O'Reilly scores one nothing. Um, but it's sustained pressure. Colorado's got really mobile D. Uh, guys that can skate, obviously, McCarr. You look at Gerard, you look at Byram, you look at Caves. Um, you know, those guys can, you know, break it out just for skating ability. So uh, you've got to, and Vegas did a good job of getting pucks behind pressure. You've got to be in on the forecheck. You've got you to be able to maintain puck possession. You've got to try and wear them down. You've got to have a layer of support. And then if they are coming out, you can't give that room through the neutral zone for them to gain that speed and attack on the rush. They're a fast team. They love to play that way, the avalanche. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're beatable. And then when you can get that pressure, they're, they're a team that's used to being able to come out. What happens when you can't, you know, impose your game? Well, then you get frustrated. And, uh, you know, I think that's what Vegas was able to do to Colorado last year is kind of put the pressure, frustrate them, and then able to win four straight. Now, can that happen again? I think, you know, certainly teams learn from the past. I think the Avalanche have. But uh, I think the Blues, they have a team. And when I look at that game last night, and I'm a big fan of, of, of the Blues and what they can do, but you can't do it just with part of the lineup going. They, they needed more of their big guys engaged in that game, and they didn't. So uh, there's, a, there's some things that have to change in game two if they want to beat this Avalanche club. We're talking to Shane Knighty here on 101 ESPN. And Shane, we're, we're totally in agreement with what you just said there. You need more guys to be able to contribute. And the line that we've really honed in on is the Thomas Tarasenko Buchnevich line. They were outshot last night, 14 to 3, and they were going up mostly against that Kadri Landeskog line. What did you see out of the Thomas line? And what do you think they can do to get things going before game number two? Well, I think Thomas is, you know, a young player. And, you know, yeah, he was part of that Stanley Cup team. And, you know, what, what I realized with a lot of young guys, and I, I'm giving him a little more, you know, he, he was part of it, but he wasn't a key piece. Well, now he's a key piece. So this is kind of his first time, you know, being in the situation in playoffs. And, and that's what it's about, gaining experience. And hopefully he gained a lot. And, you know, he needs more. I, you know, I saw the effort from him. It's just little plays, puck decisions, that everything gets magnified in playoffs that he's going to be better and he's going to learn. I think that's the great thing about being a young player. And now that he's, you know, his role is elevated from it has in the past at this time of the year that, you know, there's things he needs to learn to be that better player to elevate in that role. Um, his wingers, uh, you know, I, at times I was wondering if Tarasenko was in the game. Um, was he playing? Was he dressed? Uh, invisible. They, and he needs to be, you know, you need your best guys to, to step up this time of the year. So just not enough. Uh, both from him, uh, both wingers, you know, those, those two guys need to get going and uh, they need to be the guys that, you know, lean on, you know, not lean on Thomas, but help them to, to realize this is the time of year. Our line needs to be a difference maker. So uh, yeah, certainly that that's a line that needs to be better. And, and Tarasenko, a guy who had a great bounce back year, a tremendous year. This is a guy that I think when he's healthy, can score 30 goals in his sleep in a regular season and has the potential to score 40, even 50. If, you know, that effort's there. He has that type of talent. So he's a, he's a guy that uh, you, you, I'm looking to in game two to have a much better performance. Shane, uh, we've talked about the altitude effect when it comes to this series for St. Louis. You've played in Colorado. I'm sure you've been in games where you've experienced that altitude. How impactful is that for a team when you come in the night before a game and then you're playing in a playoff atmosphere? 
Yeah, I, you know, I remember they used to do study. You come in early. Is it better to come in late, close to the game? Because you know you want to acclimate as as quickly as you can. To the, you know that it, it certainly plays an effect. You know, I you know short shifts. You got to get into. You don't want to extend shifts. Um, you know, and it plays a fact. I think the fact that they're here now, they'll be acclimated, ready to go, uh, a little bit more set for game two. Um, but it is a factor. But, you know, it, it, at the same time, you're a professional athlete. You, you find ways to, to get through it. If it's a shorter shift, uh, you know, there's ways around it. Uh, it doesn't help when you, you play the avalanche, certainly like that second period, which is another thing Colorado's really good at with that long change and, they did it to Nashville, and it happened again last night. They, they forced. They they got such a quick counterattack, and you've got to manage the puck. You've got to you've got to get pressure on them, or else it just turns into playing defensive zone, chip it out, change defensive zone, chip it out, change, and you're able you can't get anything going. So um, yeah, altitude's there, but I think you know I think this Blues team, you know, it's a veteran group, uh, great coaching staff. I think. You know, part of game one, and this is what you hope if you're you're the Blues, is, okay, you heard all about Avalanche, you're the underdog. Now you saw it, okay, and you can understand, all right, we can be a lot better. We we can, you know, you start to pick apart pieces, you start to rework the game and see how you can beat this team, and that's what I expect. I expect, even though this one went to overtime, I expect game two to be a much closer game overall and a better effort from St. Louis. We're talking to Shane Knighty for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Shane, we're, I'm trying to kind of go through what we saw in game number one and figure out, okay, what what went wrong, what went well for the Blues. And if you're looking at it through the silver lining, it is that Jordan Bennington was outstanding. What did you see from him that stood out to you about the way that he was able to play against what is obviously a tremendous offensive team in Colorado? I think he was just in the zone. You know, goalie gets to the, to the point where he's seeing everything. He's comfortable. Confidence builds. And, you know, it, it started early. Uh, I think he was excellent. Maybe he, he kind of reacted. He, he was a little disappointed on the Gerard goal, the second goal. But he just locked it down to me. Uh, and, and when you think of Jordan Bennington, and you guys know better, you're there more, but even from the outside, he's got a, he's got a fiery demeanor, right? And I think, you know, he, he's almost better when he plays angry. And, and I think he gets to that point, and he understands his time of the year. I, 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 you can't put enough emphasis on experience. And, you know, having been the guy that took them there in 2019, uh, I think he's a guy that understands you have to take your game up a notch this time of year. So uh, just a brilliant performance by him. They can't expect him to do that every game, but uh, I, I think it's also it, it's a confidence boost for how well he played, even though they didn't get the win that, you know, hopefully he can be that solidify them in that position here going forward, um, because he was it was a you know it's one of those performances we've seen so many I've seen it you know watching all the playoffs there's so many great goaltending performances that reminded me of you know kind of what Ottinger had done and and others uh, you can put Bennington right up there with what he was able to do in game one. Shane, final one for me. You've been in playoff series before, and us in the media, you know, we sit here and talk about how, oh, man, game two is going to be critical for St. Louis to tie things up. Game three, when it comes back to St. Louis, from a player's perspective, is there one game when you're down one nothing that's critical, or does it just seem to be game to game until you're facing elimination? It's game to game. And, you know, this is the, the, the mental part of being in playoffs and where, where I mentioned it's great when you have a team and a group of guys that have won and gone through it or the, the experience. Because it is. It's, it's a, it, the whole season's a roller coaster. You get to playoffs, 
the emotional, you know, change, the, the momentum changes. It's, it's another roller coaster, but it's magnified. So how you manage those changes is so important. And you, you've got to be able to, you know, it's a game, you move on. You, you focus on this next game. That's all you look at. You don't look ahead. You don't look back. Um, you know, you hear players talk about it in the regular season, but, you know, to an extent, you have a certain amount of games and a longer runway. Here it's a short runway, and you just minimize that focus. And, and being able to manage, you know, momentum shifts in game in the series uh, is very important. And, uh, you know, I think the Blues understand that. I think, you know, that game's done. They know they've got better. I think it, it, if they had lost last night and, and thought, you know, they had, you know, think they went to overtime and they had five or six chances. No, they didn't, they didn't have a shot on goal. So it's almost easier in a sense to, like, yeah, we can be better. Let's get set for game two. He's Shane Knighty. You'll check him out over on Turner Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, Shane Knighty, S-H-A-N-E-H-N-I-D-Y. Shane, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy the rest of this series, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, I'm looking forward to game two, and then heading to St. Louis. Should be fun. Looking Absolutely. We'll see it. you here. That's Shane Knighty joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, some strong comments from him on Vladimir Tarasenko said, quote, at times I was wondering if he was playing, was he even dressed? He was invisible, end quote. I mean, we were saying the same thing in here. I mean, we, we really didn't hear Vladdy's name that much in that game last night. And, and you know, whatever it might be, you got to have them. The best players were the best players for Colorado last night. Um, Nazem Kadri, McKinnon, Landeskog, and your best players weren't there. And that is the massive difference. And I also thought it was really interesting, Shane, talking about the second period in Colorado. And I just went back to look at this. The last three seasons when the Blues have played in Colorado, they were a minus eight goal differential in the second period. I mean, it comes down to weathering the storm in the second because – one, they, they have the legs. Two, they have that long change, but they're aware of it with the altitude, and it's tough to get short shifts unless you've got the veterans on the ice. Callie Rosen, Nico Mikula, that's a new experience for them. So the second period might be a crucial period in game two, but it might be even more crucial for the Blues when they come back to St. Louis in games three and games four. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Blues off tonight, back in action on Thursday night. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario beginning Thursday at 7.30. We've got the puck drop for that one Thursday night. Another late one at 8.50. All right here in your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk about some of those adjustments that the Blues can make. Are they going to go 11-7 and again? Are we going to see them switch up the lines? We'll talk about their options coming up at 12.30. But next... Paul Goldschmidt has been unbelievable over the last three weeks or so. Are they going to be able to get another member of that quote-unquote MV3 going here pretty soon? Adam Wainwright had some interesting comments about that earlier today. We'll let you hear him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Goldie hits it out to deep right. It's at the wall. Gone! It's a home run. Goldschmidt on a 1-2 pitch gets St. Louis on the board. Another home run. His fifth of the year. And his on-base streak is now at 23. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you're looking around the National League right now, 
The Cardinals currently have two of the top five hitters in the league. Paul Goldschmidt and his OPS plus is at 168. That means he's 68% above league average for the season, despite the fact that he basically didn't play baseball for the first two weeks of the season. That's good, right? He would have been better off not playing than he was by going up to the plate every day at that point. Meanwhile, Nolan Arenado is at 166 in terms of his OPS. They're both, or OPS plus rather, they're both hitting at least 300 on the season. They both have a slugging percentage of at least 530 on the season. They've been awesome. The problem is the third member of that quote-unquote MV3 has been less than awesome so far this year. It just doesn't seem like it's coming around yet for Tyler O'Neill. But yesterday, Alex... He got the big hit, and you compared this yesterday as we were going through our pregame show for the Blues to a hockey player that's going through it. He's really struggling to put the puck in the back of the net, and then one goes off of his booty, goes into the net, and suddenly he's got a goal. It's like, ah, all right, the pressure's off. I can now go ahead and play free and easy. So Tyler O'Neill yesterday ends up getting the potential game-winning RBI, and all seems to be right in the world. Adam Wainwright was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. Here's what he had to say about Tyler O'Neill potentially getting himself back on track and how big of a hit that was for him. We saw him place the ball in the left field yesterday for the first time in a while. Slumps are evil sometimes, but when you come out of slumps, and what I told Tyler the other day, when you're in the deepest of slumps is when you're in the closest to being on fire hot. He's a guy who could carry a team for a, a while. I think he's on the verge of, of getting really, really hot because we, we know he's he's in about the the worst slump that he's going to get in. But when he gets hot, he's fun, and he can carry us for a while. I hope that's true. I really do. And, again, I know it's a different sport, but that's how it seems to go with hockey. When a guy is in a slump where he hasn't scored a goal in 10 games, you're thinking, okay, but when he scores, it's going to be electric for him. I mean, David Perron was that guy this season. He went silent after he had his injury, and we were thinking, man, what's wrong with David Perron? He scores a goal, and then it's like he's scoring goals every single night. So I hope that is the case with Tyler O'Neill. And in all reality, we saw this last season. Tyler O'Neill up until April 27th was hitting 167 and had a 609 OPS. And then lo and behold, he goes on a little bit of a stretch. And by the end of May, he's hitting 270 with a 925 OPS. When he gets hot, he can get scalding. I mean, he we saw this in September, too. He can carry a baseball team. Wayno's not wrong on that. Maybe he's a Paul Goldschmidt. Maybe he's a guy that takes the first month or so of the season to get hot. And I know that that's not fun to hear for fans because you're thinking, well, no, play well the first month of the season and play well all the way to the end. But some guys just start slow. Maybe this is Tyler O'Neill. In his career, he's a 750 OPS in the first half of the season, a 900 OPS in the second half of the season. That's for his career. Um, And he has a 650 OPS now in his career in the month of March and April. So in the first month of the season, essentially batting 220. And then it goes up to about 260-ish for the rest of the season after that. So it's possible, but now's the time, man. Eventually, you've got to get this thing turned around. Someone texted in and said, by Bueno's logic, uh, shouldn't Paul DeYoung be an MVP right well, now? They're, Paul DeYoung will never carry a team offensively. It's unnecessary. That's, that's not where he's unnecessary, at. Unnecessary, 6-3-6. Somebody says Tyler O'Neill's swing is broken. He isn't fixed because his half-swing bunt drove in a run. He needs to be sent down, not be talked about uh, as the savior of this offense. I don't think his swing is all that different than what it was last year. I could be wrong on this. Like people like I'm curious to hear what BT has to say about Tyler O'Neill later today or uh, what Jim Edmonds will say about it on the broadcast. I think his swing isn't all that bad. 
he's just the timing is off. Yeah, that's what he, I think. It he's is. he's ahead and then he's behind. But he's, he's swinging at those pitches that are in the dirt, and that's what makes me feel like something's off. I think it's all mentally right now where he's at. I don't think physically he's all that far away. Didn't he have a, a blunder in the outfield too? He and yep. Brendan Donovan ran into each other, and like that's and when he had he, that base running error the other day as well. It's, that's it's when you weird. know that your guy's going through it. And I don't know how you get out of it, though, because you don't sit him for two games like you've done that already. And he's still struggling like this is one of those things that like I've heard Craig Bruby talk about it. You you just you keep going out there and you keep working sooner or later. It's got to work. Now, I know it's a different sport. This is about timing and hockey's just about like you just got to go out there and you work harder work with it. it. I don't know how this works in baseball, but I hope that logic's right. But watching Tyler O'Neill at the plate. He doesn't look like a guy who's close to breaking out of a slump. On the plus side, the next two days, you've got some really easy pitching to be able to work through some things. Oh, oh Max Scherzer? Scherzer today and Chris Bassett, who oh, gave the Cardinals no issues whatsoever in the last appearance against them uh, those, tomorrow. So I'm sure that'll stink. go super well. Yeah, those guys are those like they're the Orioles pitchers. Yeah, well, they can develop pitching, okay? Let's not take shots at Baltimore. Almost had, yeah. But no, I, I the reason I can't... I, I'm not convinced that this is going to be kind of that breaking out moment for Tyler O'Neill. It's because it didn't feel like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, because I I like the idea that it's the goal scorer where it just goes off the rear end and goes in the net, and then all of a sudden he gets on fire. In baseball, it almost feels like it's more of the, oh, his swing looked really good, and it just happened to be like a bloop single that gets in, and then he goes on a tear. I don't really view this as a bloop single, because he was fooled on a pitch. It was the check swing, and then it was... Actually, oh, optimism here, big guy. This is like when BK... I don't want to buy into, oh, well, that's the hit that's going to get like him going. BK said that the Pirates no-hitter wasn't actually a no-hitter. Or no, it was the Tigers no-hitter because the Pirates weren't a real team. I do agree with Tanner for what it's worth. Like I, that was not a good hit. Yeah, it just, I, it, sometimes it just, really if fast. We were talking about that moment, like the first game of the day. He has the the single that Wayno referenced in that cut when we returned from, where it's the single off of Edwin Diaz, who has just filthy stuff. Look, Diaz didn't have his best day, but the fact that he hit a missile in the left field for a base hit, if that was the big hit moment that we're talking about, instead of a check swing that he just beats down the line because he's got unbelievable speed. Then yeah, then I could buy into the notion of maybe that's the moment that he needs to get going. I, I still can't buy into it because I, I don't think it is the physical thing that you're talking about, BK. I agree with you there. I, I think it's just a timing thing because he's early, he's late. He just seems to be second-guessing himself on fastballs especially. I think at yeah. one point last night we were watching the game and there was a fastball. I don't even think it was like a high heater. I think it was like 92 or something on the gun. And he was just super late on it. He, he just It's just a timing thing right now. It's just getting everything synced up at once. I think there's something off that I, I, I'm i not a hitting coach, so I can't break it down. Jeff Albert can, and, and Turner Ward can spot it probably. I'm sure Tyler O'Neill sees it too when he looks at film. How about all I, the guys in the dugout that he could be talking to in terms of Albert Pujols, Paul Goldschmidt, Willie McGee. I mean, you got all these guys you should be talking to. I, I, I just think it's a timing thing. I think there's something in the mechanics because he has that, when you see him, he's got the foot that's out, he's open stance, he's got the bat moving on the shoulder. I think something's off. I think it's a timing thing, and then it's a confidence thing maybe where he's just doesn't feel confident in what he's seeing. And if he can just get something like a blue pit instead of like a check swing single, then I think you start to see Tyler O'Neill. I think he's going to break out, and I think it will be all of a sudden it will just be snap of the finger, and next thing you know we're talking about his OPS shooting up like two to 250 points at some point. So there's a lot of people saying that this is they're comparing Tyler O'Neill to Paul DeYoung. And here's why I think that's an unfair comparison. Tyler O'Neill was a legitimate MVP candidate last year. This was we're looking at right now so far a what one and a half month sample size, basically, of Tyler O'Neill being terrible. Yeah. He was 
the most recent time that we saw him, amazing. Are One we, of the best players in the National League. Wasn't before that, though, we were talking about a guy who just might not be it? 100%. But the most recent time that we saw Tyler O'Neill, he was awesome. If it was three years ago, Tyler O'Neill was awesome, and then the last two years were the two years prior to last year for him, where he stunk, and then this is the third consecutive year in which he was struggling at the plate. Totally agree. I would be critical right now of the Cardinals continuing to play him over guys like Brendan Donovan or Juan Yepes or even Corey Dickerson, honestly. I would be in favor of getting everybody opportunities and maybe sending Tyler O'Neill down. That's not what this is. This is him struggling for six weeks in the regular season thus far. And if he doesn't work out of this by the end of the month or by mid-month in June, sure, now we can have some serious conversations about what is wrong here and was last year, I don't believe it was a fluke, was last year just him catching lightning in a bottle and being able to do things for three months when he was hot and then now he's not able to recapture that same form. Willing to have that conversation eventually, not there just yet. And to that point, too, like last year when he was the race version that we saw that we're referencing, he was at playing at an MVP-type level. I mean, he was a legitimate officer, a legitimate gold glove. He won the gold glove, and he was playing at MVP-type level with power and all of that. When you look at Paul DeYoung's success from that, was it 2019 season, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah. I went back and looked at, like, what where did he rank? Because everybody refers to, well, he was really good in the first half of the year. He was an all-star, all-star, and all capital letters, he was an all-star. So he was really good. He was like the 11th best shortstop in the National League. He was good. Don't get me wrong. He was good. But he wasn't great. We saw something that was really great from Tyler O'Neill in just the last season. Paul DeYoung's issue was, as you said, it was three years ago, and it wasn't really great. It was good. The Cardinals needed an all-star representative, and they got Paul DeYoung into the all-star game, and he was like the 11th best shortstop in the National League. So it's definitely two very different conversations. Yeah, Tyler O'Neill last year was legitimately one of the best players in the National League. Like, full stop. He was unbelievable. His hard hit rates, his expected numbers, everything was outstanding for him. He was a legitimate five-tool player that seemed to put it all together. Maybe we never see it again. It's possible. I'm not saying it's out of the realm of possibility. It was one of the big questions we had coming into the year. Can he be the same guy that he was last year? And so far, the answer is no. He has not been. And the biggest issue is the lack of slugging. I understand his batting average is low, but if you're hitting the ball harder more consistently... That's going to go up by virtue of that. He just hasn't been able to hit the ball squarely so far this year. If he gets the timing down, I think you're going to start seeing that. I do not know that yesterday was the thing that's going to get it going. I I tend to agree with Tanner. That's not the hit that's going to get it for him. You should be more optimistic. But as you get into some of these series against lesser pitching, you've got Pittsburgh coming up, Toronto's okay, it looks like they've got a couple of their best starters in that series, unfortunately. Then you've got Milwaukee and San Diego. You're just in a gauntlet right now of facing really good starters. Then you get into Chicago and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, Boston. That early June schedule, if he's not able to get this thing corrected by then, that's when I'm going to start the panic bus. But I'm just not quite there yet. And if they can get him going, man, you look at some of the pieces that are around him right now, the way they're hitting – this offense is not that far away. It feels like it. I understand that. But if they can get Tyler O'Neill back to even close to where he was a year ago, I think it's going to be all right. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, what are the adjustments that are available to Craig Berube and the Blues? I want to ask Alex this. Do you go to 12 and 6? Do you switch up the lines? Is there anything you can do with the defensive pairings? What can you do to ignite a spark in the team going into tomorrow's game number two? Talk about it next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So adjustments are the key to any playoff series. We saw that in Blues versus the Abs, or excuse me, Blues versus the Wild. We beat them. Did we win already? Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's on to the Western Conference Final. You knew we what I meant. They were pushovers. The we knew it. Champions, no, we got two more rounds, man. Craig oh, Berube had the magic touch once again, and it I worked got the against magic the touch. Wild. That's not a real song. It now is. they're going to need it again. And you're not making a decision in net. That's not going to be the spark this time around. Last sure? time it was the 11 and 7 <laughs> that worked for them. Uh, they overcame all of their losses on the blue line in game number four. It, it ended up everything went according to plan for Craig Burby. Switched up the lines a little bit and boom, you were moving on to the second round of the playoffs. Alex, what are those changes that could be on the table in round number two? Going into game two tomorrow night, what are some of the things that you think Craig Burby and his staff are probably going through? Well, right now, I think the initial decision is what do we do with our line combinations in terms of 11-7, 12-6? And I fully expect them to go to 12-6 for game number two. Logan Brown being the, the 12th? I don't know. I, I think there's a legit shot that it could be Nathan Walker also. Because if there's one thing that I have heard the players discuss is how much they love Nathan Walker. And that's not saying that they don't love Logan Brown, but when you have a player who just brings something else to the locker room, to the ice when they're playing, you play that guy. So I can see both scenarios where they look at it and say, Nathan Walker comes in, he provides some energy on that fourth line, maybe he gets a couple of hits, and maybe you get lucky like you did against the Detroit Red Wings and he picks up a goal. I can see that scenario. But I would lean more towards Logan Brown getting the start on the fourth line, mostly because he can play the center position, which makes Tyler Bozak flexible, which makes Braden Shen flexible. Because, look, if Braden Shen is too dinged up to play center, you can still take Barbashev off of that center position, and you can put Tyler Bozak in the third-line center. And Logan Brown can be your fourth-line center, or Logan Brown can be your third. There's versatility there. And I... There's there's more experience at the NHL level for Logan Brown than there is Nathan Walker. And you got some size on that. So I think that's the first thing that you're thinking of if you're Craig Berube and staff of, okay, can we get a spark if we go back to 12 forwards and six defensemen? But you got to make a decision on who's coming out on the defensive side. And I hate to say it, but to me, Scott Perunovich kind of is, I don't want to say irrelevant because it's just not, that's a little too harsh, but he's not as useful in this series, if it's going to be even strength hockey, Tori Krug is very useful at even strength. Scott Perunovich is lo- is using more on the power play than he is at even strength. So I think you look at it and say, okay, Scott Perunovich is Mike going to be coming out here, but I also think you need to take Callie Rosen out of the lineup, and I think that comes down to Marco Scandella. Yep, that is where I think the initial spark comes from going twelve six to where maybe you can exploit some mismatch. Their fourth line played a combined eighteen minutes. In game number one, Colorado's. So they weren't out there a whole lot. And maybe you could get some face-off success against that fourth line. Maybe you could get some offensive success with that fourth line because you've got speed, size, however you want to utilize it. But once you get past that, BK, then I think you get to the point of, okay, do we juggle up these line combinations? So let's let's focus in on a couple of these. We mentioned the 12-6. You probably switched to that. You go with... I, I think I would go Nathan Walker. I don't know if they will. I... Honestly thought they should stick with him in the last round. And I know Jamie mentioned this as well. He thought they had done basically everything asked of them. And then they decided, you know what? We want a little bit more size. We're going to Logan Brown. It didn't work. You go to 11 and 7. We know how that ended. I would go to Nathan Walker in this series. I don't think that his size disadvantage 
is an issue as much against the Colorado Avalanche. I didn't feel like when the Avs fourth line was out there, it was like, oh, these are some some tree trunks that are going up against your smaller guys right now. Like I think I think he would be fine. I think he gives you a little bit more offensively, and you could use an offensive spark right now. And he also has the speed that could fit pretty well into this series. So mm-hmm. I would go Nathan Walker, even though I understand that they probably won't make that decision. But the and, and the only the only secondary thought with that is you don't want Barbashev as a centerman right now, and I don't know if Shen can be a centerman right now. Who else is playing center for you? I mean, I think you have to ride with with Barbie. You just he's got to be better for you, man. He's got to be better. Even if you know that Logan Brown is an option that could come in and maybe win some faceoffs and provide some size. Yeah, because I'm not so worried about what happens on the faceoffs on that fourth line. I mean, what what was it last night? Tyler Bozak had what four He's faceoffs in that game? I think he game? was two for two. I think he was 100. percent Yeah, I, I'm not worried about that. I mean, if you're going to end up giving up a little bit on the faceoffs, um, yeah, he was two for two. If you give up two faceoffs in the game. Uh, to be able to have somebody that I think gives you more offensive spark, I would rather make that trade off personally. And, and like I said, I can, I can. It's a fifty-fifty shot for me right now because I can see them looking at Nathan Walker and saying, "We need that energy that you have provided for us in the regular season," and it worked really well for them in the regular season. Okay, so here's the other thing: when you talk about the defensive side, let's go. Let's start with Scandella's in. I don't okay. know if he will be or not, but let's operate under that assumption. I think he's got to play. If you you believe that he's going to be able to be in, I think he plays and you take Callie Rosen out. And now it comes down to a decision of Perunovic versus Mikola. I thought Mikola was solid yesterday. I liked the physicality that he had in front of the net. I think you need some of that. I also thought he could have had at least one penalty called against him. Perunovic? No, Mikola. Mikola. Ah, don't worry about it. Yeah, but that... That was a odd man rush. It would have been called. a good. It would have been a good penalty if he would have taken it. I'm, you're thinking of that first period one, right? Where that odd man rush where he took a hack at him. There was at least that one, and then I think there was one more later on in the game as well that he potentially could have had called against. Yeah, him. I wouldn't worry about it. It didn't. It didn't get called against him, so you don't have to worry about it. Do you give any consideration to taking out Mikola and putting Perunovic in, or do you say, you know what, we're fine with Nick Letty being the quarterback on that power play unit. We think he'll be all right there. I don't know what's going on with Nick Letty because he has not been on the power play. They've kept Justin Falk on that yep. power play. So, like, to me, I don't know if they use Nick Letty on the power play, which part of me wonders maybe they just keep Perunovic in there and they take Rosen out if Scandella's available to go. Um, and you have Mikola and, and Rosen sitting Perunovic plays with Justin Falk, Marco Scandella with Robert Bortuzzo, and then you platoon in that circumstance where you get more offensive faceoffs with Perunovic out there with Falk and defensive zone faceoffs. Maybe Scandella's playing with Falk. My concern with that, though, is Perunovic played 10 minutes in game number one, and a minute of that was on the power play. You can't, you're basically playing with five defensemen yep. then. And you played 15 minutes of Robert Bortuzzo and like 14 minutes of Mikola and somewhere around that for Cali Rosen. You cannot in Colorado play with four defensemen. You need all six. So if Perunovic is playing, you're basically saying we trust you in defensive situations more than we trust Cali Rosen. And right now, I don't think that would be the worst statement to make because Rosen just has struggled these last couple of games. Scott Perunovic. I think he plays well in the defensive zone. I just think right now it's just that an experience at the NHL level of how to approach different situations when the puck is in your own zone. But it's really Perunovic versus Mikola, right? If Scandella's playing, no. Because Scandella's going to go in for Callie Rosen, and if we're going 12-6, and then it's Perunovic and Mikola. Okay. 
but you're switching Perunovic in for Mikola. Because if you've got Bortuzzo, Falk, Letty, Pareko, and you've got Scandella, yeah, those are your more five. defensemen. And so you're either going to put Perunovic in there or Mikola. It's got to yeah. be one of those two that you're putting into that sixth Correct. spot. And I think when you look at it, you say, do we want size and defense or do we want offense? And which side do you lean on there? I think you need offense. I think we just saw... What looks what it looks like when you have all of these defensive players in your lineup and they scored or they had 54 shots on goal and 106 shot attempts. You need offense. They're not getting 54 shots on goal if you possess the puck more. And like it or not, I know Scott Perunovic is very new to this, but he creates offense. You got to create some offense with him. And if Tori Krug is unavailable, I think you stick with Scott Perunovic here and you just go with 12 forwards. So if Perunovic is in, that means Mikola is out if Scandella is in. Now let's operate under the assumption that Scandella is out. And then I think it's Mikola and Perunovic. So you got, so Rosen's the odd man out. Rosen, Rosen I think is, is the first one. In this pecking order, it goes Perunovic one, Mikola two. Um, Rosen three Absolutely. in terms of the order of the the replacement level and, and I hate it because we we spent last week talking about Callie Rosen looking like a Carl Gunnarsson and you know what he's done his job he played that vanilla style for you but you're just at the position now where you really need some offense and you really need to minimize the amount of turnovers in your own zone or getting beat and not getting off the ice with short shifts that's what Callie Rosen fell victim to last night. It's two different series that call for two different styles of players. I think that's also part of this, right? Like, you go up against Minnesota, you needed that vanilla ice cream. Now I need a little Rocky Road. Ooh. <laughs> I, need, I need somebody hey. that, that's got the potential to put points on the board for me Love against the Colorado Road. Avalanche. This is just different. Like, I, in the last round, you wanted to hit a bunch of singles. If we hit enough singles, we keep this line moving. I think we're going to have a chance. I think we should be expected to Hold win on, the man. series. We were talking about ice cream, and now we're talking about baseball. Here Where we, we go. Here? In this round, you need some home runs, man. I need that power. And if it comes with some swing and miss and it ends up with a shot going behind me, so be it. I've got to be able to go for broke here. And here's the other thing that goes into it for me, because I tend to agree with where you're at on this, Alex. I think having the confidence in Jordan Bennington also plays into this decision. Absolutely. If Scott Perunovich makes a couple of plays where you're like, ooh, ooh, oh, no, oh, boy, that's going to be an odd man rush. So be it. I trust Jordan Bennington to be able to cover up for his mistakes. And with Mikola, he might be able to force a few guys out of the way in front of him. He also might take some penalties, and I just don't know if he's going to be able to make any of those big-time plays that lead to odd man rushes going the other direction. I think Perunovic has the potential to do that. The other thing that Mikola has is Mikola has the ability to jump up into the rush like Colton Pareko, and he can create offense also. I just haven't seen that. I know Callie Rosen scored two goals against the Nashville Predators, so save me your text messages on that one. But Mikola can create offense like Scott Perunovic can create offense. You're kind of at the point now where I'm looking at the series saying, I don't see the Blues winning any of these games 2-1. to one. I see a lot of these Blues winning these games 4-2 if they do. Because Bennington stands on his head, but you're going to have to sell out defense for offense against this Colorado team. It's speed for speed. We talked about it going into it. T-Bone even mentioned it. You might have to play a little pond hockey with Colorado, which is very scary. You get the tight butt cheeks that entire hockey game if that's the case. But if you trust Jordan Bennington to make those big saves for you, where it's those rushes and you can commit to getting the puck out of the zone quickly, you might be able to get some odd man rushes going against R.C. Kemper. And that's what I was going to say is if you have faith in Jordan Bennington, which I don't know how you couldn't after last night's performance, I think you can start to play more of that pond hockey style because 
If you truly, uh, we talked about this yesterday, Darcy Kemper, I think he can steal a game for the Avalanche. I don't know if he can steal a series. So if you can put relentless pressure on him, play that pond hockey style, and sure, Colorado's going to give it right back to you, I feel confident in what Jordan Bennington is going to be able to do. And I feel like your offense should be able to outdo a Darcy Kemper in the Colorado Avalanche. That's why I, I think leaning towards that pond hockey kind of mentality may be the way that the Blues start to adjust in this series because the physical approach, which I didn't think they really played that physical last night, even though that's what... Craig Burry was hoping to do whatever the approach was last night just did not work. And, and let me correct myself. I'm not sitting here saying like, don't play defense and just play offense that you still have to be responsible in your own zone. You still have to play that five man unit. You have to back check. You have to win board battles, but the focus needs to be less on, okay, we got to get the puck out of the, our own zone so we can get quick shifts off the ice. And it needs to be more of, we need to go speed for speed with these guys. They have more speed. There's no question but the Blues are also a very fast team that can create offense. You're going to have to focus a little bit in on that also. I like this text from the 314. The answer to this is simple. What's your identity? How are you going to win this series? I agree. You're going to win it with offense. All year long, the identity of the Blues was they have more 20 goal scores than they've had at any point since Brett Hull played here. And if that's going to be the identity of this team, if that's the way that you win, you need guys at the blue line that can move that puck up the ice to be able to get it to those guys that are supposed to put the puck in the back of the net. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, keeping Perunovic in the lineup, even if that means going 12-6 and six with him being a guy that you're not fully confident in as a defensive-minded defenseman. That's the way you got to do it, man. Some of these things are going to have to make you a little bit uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable when they made the switch in net. It worked. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's the way you got to operate as coach. Sometimes you got to get different kind of flavored ice cream. Rocky Road, baby. Somebody Settle in with that Rocky Road. Somebody just texted in and said, can you combat speed with power or physicality? No, I, I don't think you can. Because I think as soon as you... Could you in tra- 2019. This team doesn't have that. Well, I think as soon as you try and do that, you look like the Blues did in Game 3 against Minnesota. And you're going to be sitting there wondering how all of these odd man rushes are taking place. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyler. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you have for us today? You guys want to go on a trip? No. We're going to go to Kingsland. Remember Alton, I'm Illinois? Going on a trip on Friday. Yeah. Heading Shocker. out to Pittsburgh More to watch the Cardinals. My Shocker. favorite baseball yeah. team. Shocker. More BK vacation. We're going to Kingsland, Arkansas. Oh. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm out on that. <laughs> I couldn't have any less interest. Don't invite me there, wow. please. It's the home. It's where Johnny Cash is from. Oh, Alex might go there. Yeah. I just like some he Johnny Cash. Music. Johnny Cash is great. I love Johnny Cash. The, the problem in uh, Kingsland, Arkansas, I though, right fell now, guys. To a burning ring of fire. Great song. It's down by Pine Bluff. The problem here oh, in uh, cool. Now I know where I'm going. In Kingsland, Arkansas. You know how some towns. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard Hot Springs is a great place. Cool. Let's go to Pine Bluff. Have you ever been to Hot Springs, Arkansas? No, I go to Hot Have Springs you even in been my to Arkansas. Bathroom. Just in general. I've uh, driven yeah. through Arkansas. I can't say that I've yeah. been When there I was forward. broadcasting with Lindenwood, I think they had to do a game against a. Wait, Arkansas we went to Arkansas team. for my uh, bachelor party briefly. We were over there for the um, the Greyhound races. That's where the casino was. 
and Greyhound Raceway. That sounds I'm glad sketchy. I wasn't invited for that. It was a great time. I would not go watch Brad dogs Barnes being... won a good amount of money on a race that he thought he was betting on that was local. It ended up being somewhere else in the country. <laughs> he, he went back to the uh, the window and he was like, hey, I, I don't know if this was the right thing or not. And they were like, oh, yeah, you ended up winning $200. He's like, what? That's a lot of money to you? He bet like $5 on the race. Yeah, that's a pretty good win. One like the Exacto. It was amazing. Anyways, we're getting off topic here. The reason we're going to Kingsland, Arkansas, one is because it's where Johnny Cash is from. And you know how some towns, little small towns, have the water tower uh, to like say, hey, you're in only Illinois. Yep, Arnold, Missouri. Yeah. There's one in Kingsland, Arkansas. And they have a mural of Johnny Cash on the water tower. Oh, that makes sense. It's his hometown. It's his hometown makes sense. Someone Whose hometown? Johnny Cash. Oh, okay. Someone van- vandalized this mural. Are you questioning if that's a word? Or? Yeah. Questioning, You're right. You I, got it. I have concerns about what I say now. Um, the Our boss texted him last night saying... I made up a word. <laughs> what word did you make up? Do you remember? No idea. But I, I, I believe him because it's probably oh, true. Oh, I know what it is. You were supposed to say comes to fruition, and you said comes to tuition. <laughs> That's what it was. Now I know. But uh, someone vandalized this mural by shooting it, and they shot it right where it's at Johnny uh, Cash's crotch. So now the mural, so right. a water tower, looks like Johnny Cash is just peeing onto the uh, beautiful people of Kingsland. That's that's honestly great vandalism idea. Can I tell you, so I'm looking at the map of Kingsland, Arkansas right now. The entire list of things that exist within Kingsland. Bottlehead booze. Of course, a liquor store. All right, I'm in. Let's go. The Kingsland One Stop. It's a gas station. A music store, which is temporarily closed. You know there's not much when they promote their gas station. The (laughs) high school. Which oh, got a one star based on the rating. Who the hell's Hold the on, they're promoting their high school and it's only got one star and the Johnny Cash birthla- birthplace monument. That's the there entire and city. Now, and now, and that, like, how is course, that fifth? And now that birthplace monument is peeing all over <laughs> yeah. Kingsland, Arkansas, which makes a lot of sense when you hear what the rest of the Honestly, city looks like. If I were to vandalize something, that would be it. Great idea. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll be making cry, a trip, of course, it? to Kingsland, Arkansas as a team. We were looking uh, yesterday for what our next road trip's going to be with I one another. I promise you it's not going to be that. Kingsland, Arkansas it is. You do Let's that, go. I'll go to Vegas. Don't you want to go to that gas station? You In guys go to the minutes, Vegas of the Midwest. I'll we'll just go play to Vegas. A more likely to happen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. You've got like two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. One of them is going to be more likely for the Cardinals to trade for. Will it be one? Soto or Xander Bogart? Are you sure? Talk about that coming up at 115. Jordan Bennington, though, an all-time performance last night. We'll discuss it more coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Gonna cry, 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 and you cry alone. When everyone's forgotten and you're left on your own, you're gonna cry, cry, cry. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside 
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which one's more likely. We'll start out coming up here in about 10 minutes or so with obviously the most interesting question of them all. Are the Cardinals going to trade more likely to trade for Juan Soto or Xander Bogarts? Both Neither. seem incredibly likely to me. Alex, last night was an all-time performance out of Jordan Bennington. I've cited this stat a couple of times. It's still just, it's amazing to me. He had more than 50 saves last night. It was the first time a Blues goalie has done that since Jake Allen did it against Minnesota in 2017. Before that, you have to go all the way back to 1993. I was born in 1992. Cujo did it twice in that series against Toronto. So it's basically been done three times in my lifetime. I turned 30 this year. It was an unbelievable performance by Bennington last night in the playoffs. And it makes me think that he's just flat out back at this point, man. When you watch him do that against this team, it's a little different. It speaks differently to me than what he did against even the Wild. The Wild are a good hockey team. They don't have the kind of offense, though, that the Avs do. I understand their quantity over quality, but some of those shots were pretty high quality as well. And in his last 10 starts, he now has a 928 save percentage. He's saved 297 of the 320 shots against, and he's 8-2. and two. The only two losses have come against the Colorado Avalanche. I don't know if the Blues are going to be able to come out with this series with a win. I have no idea. They've got to get more offense to be able to do so. I don't have a whole lot of concerns about Jordan Bennington at this point, though. No, I don't either. And what I'm really intrigued by is how he looks following a loss. We saw well, we didn't see this in the Minnesota Wild Series because he started and it was back to back to back wins. Saw a little of this in the regular season towards the end of the stretch. But even that, I mean, the the loss he had was against the Colorado Avalanche. And then he didn't play the next game because Huso got that start against the Vegas Golden Knights. You go back to the playoffs when Jordan Bennington was in net and, and don't go off of the uh, post 2019 playoffs, the Owen seven run that everyone likes to cite. But in that 2019 run, and this is why I cite this, because if we're saying Bennington's back, you're comparing it to this guy. He was really good rebounding after losses. The Winnipeg Jets, he lost a game uh, allowing six goals. He responded. It was an overtime loss for the Blues, but he had a 949 save percentage. Lost a game to the Dallas Stars, a 903 save percentage. Lost another game to the Dallas Stars, a 957 save percentage. That's when you know Jordan Bennington's on. I've said it in in game. You know, he's locked in when he's making those saves with guys on the doorstep of the crease. And he did that last night on top of a bunch of other high danger scoring chances that he made stops on. But you also know Jordan Bennington's back when he puts together another outstanding performance after a loss. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, he used all his energy in that one. No, this is Jordan Bennington just getting started. Mind you that Jordan Bennington didn't play a whole lot of hockey from January up until March. This guy might be waiting and primed for this opportunity. So the second the the second game after a loss or the first game after a loss, that's where I really want to see what Jordan Bennington's got. Yeah, and if they're going to lose this series, it's not going to be because of Absolutely because of him. not. I, I, that's, that's where I land on this. The other thing they've got to do, though, is they can't allow Colorado to just completely dominate for a period or a 10-minute stretch the way that they did yesterday. So you look back at the second period, Alex. That was the one that you really honed in on. Mm -hmm. The Blues were outshot in that period 19-9. to You go to the overtime period. They were outshot in that 13-0. to You add up those that 30 minutes, basically, half of the game, essentially, that was played yesterday. They were outshot 32-9. to Wow. That cannot happen. 
again at any point in this series if the Blues are going to have any sort of a chance to win. And if you look at the Corsi ratings in those numbers, it's almost somehow even worse. In the second period, it was 76% in favor of the Avalanche. And in the overtime stretch, it was 90% that the Avs had the Corsi rating. That's just puck possession. The Blues aren't able to get any sort of cycling in the offensive zone yesterday in the second or the overtime periods. They've got to be able to fix that if they're going to be able to come back into this series and make it interesting, much less try to win it. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about the Bennington side of things. We've talked about the offensive side of things, and we've talked defensively. But also, I'd like to bring up to try and turn this thing around, get a little more offensive defensive style, if that makes sense. 25 shots on goal from Colorado defense, 25 shots on goal from the Blues overall. There's another difference maker in this one. There's a stat for you. My God, you've got to get your defense involved. Like Colorado is so good because guys like Samuel Gerrard and Kale McCarr and Josh Manson, they're taking shots from the blue line and they're letting the forwards do the work. The issue in game one was the blues forwards were trying to do it all. And there was no real substance. The goal that Ryan O'Reilly scored that turnover on Kale McCarr that started because Nick Letty and Braden Shen kept the puck in the offensive zone at the blue line. Your defensemen need to be more involved rather than just chipping the puck in and letting the forwards go to work. It's just getting pucks on Darcy Kemper and letting the forwards go after those for the second and third opportunities. When you've got one side defense getting 25 shots and the other side getting 10, you got to step it up a little bit in terms of your de- defenseman jumping up into the offense. 65780 is your comfort service tax line from the 618. Guys, that second period in overtime is all about the long change. It's all about the level of Colorado's transition game. Not enough at the blue lines for the St. Louis Blues. I think there is some truth to that. The long change was clearly an issue for the Blues last night. It's also something that I expect Craig Burby and his staff to be able to correct. Maybe it doesn't get fixed. You're going to see some of this. Like There will be three, four, five-minute stretches where the Avalanche just completely dominate on puck possession. That's expected. They did that to everybody all year long. The Blues are going to do that, though, or they should be able to during stretches of this series as well. The weird thing last night to me was that they looked like they weren't even on the ice at times. It looked like, and to the point of Jeremy Rutherford, it looked like it was traffic cones out there and the abs were just skating through them and they could do basically whatever they wanted. That can't happen. The Blues are better than that. I have too much respect to what this team accomplished this year to believe that that's going to continue in games two through five or however long this ends up going. So that that's the big thing to me is, okay, sure, they're going to dominate five minutes. Then you have to have your turn of dominating for five minutes as well. And that should help with the legs. It should help with the defensemen not getting exhausted and getting stuck in their own zone as often as they were last night. Like all of that comes back to, puck possession this team's best defense is extended offensive zone time and they didn't get that at all in the second period or overtime and that's kind of what was so surprising about last night not not just the fact that you know Colorado dominated for almost a 20 minute stretch there but it was that usually when you think about what you're talking about is that how do you get that momentum swing it's usually from a big safe and we saw plenty of those from Jordan Bennington last night where you had I don't know if it's the second or third period where Bennington sprawling to his left and he makes an unbelievable glove save there's your momentum momentum changing play it's just you never capitalized on it you'd get that kind of momentum save from Jordan Bennington 
and then it was you were flat right out right out back after it and you never were able to change the tide of the game I, I agree with you I have too much respect for a team that had nine 20 goal scorers and was able to put up what was it, third best points percentage in franchise history mm-hmm. to the fact of the matter that they're not going to be able to do this at all at some point in this series. I think, I hope last night was just a one-off for the St. Louis Blues. They weren't able to do it. And look, I I don't buy in like, yes, it was the deciding factor in the second period and overtime with that long change. I just don't buy that. The blues are going to get beat in that all, all series long. If they're in Colorado because of the altitude or whatever, the blues were the best team in the second period goal differential than the regular season. And I know they played only in Colorado. I think once because two of the games against, or no twice because two of the one game was played in St. Louis, which was back in October, but they were a plus 53 in the second period this season. Best in the national hockey league. The altitude doesn't matter. Shane Knighty told us, like, these are professional athletes. It's not going to affect them. Yes, it affects them, but it's not affecting them as much as people are making it out to be. This is just a fit. You you have to figure out how to make the shift and approach this Colorado Avalanche team differently than what you did in game number one. I fully expect the second period to be an advantage for the Blues moving forward. It's just they were off their game in game number one. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, to get his thoughts on last night's loss for the Blues, what he expects to change going into game number two. But next, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. So much energy, boys. Let's go. Side Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of more likely to happen earlier today, boys. I was reading over on ESPN.com. And our friend Buster Olney has oh, a post guy. up. It's titled this. Hit me with a Buster. Will Juan Soto be traded? 10 X factors to watch as Major League Baseball's trade market heats up. And number one on that Ooh. list is the Cardinals acquiring them. Factor, really? Not not entirely. Well, it's BK's definition of an X factor. Probably something he, like, is it hot outside? Oh, that St. Louis. Yeah, he loves it here. He loves the heat. He did write. Rival re- executives believe that the Nationals might be compelled and even motivated to move Juan Soto later this summer. He's in the first year of arbitration at $17.1 million. Wow, the Cardinals are out. It's too (laughs) expensive. (laughs) Which means that he is expected to have a record arbitration value next season. Uh, Juan Soto turns out very good at the whole baseball thing. So far this year, he's batting 255, but he's got an 865 OPS. He's had an OPS over 900 every year of his career thus far. More likely to happen. The Cardinals trade for Xander Bogarts or they trade for Juan Soto? Uh, Fully acknowledged. Is there an option neither C? Neither of these are likely to say, Is there an option C on this one? I'll say it's more likely Xander Bogarts is the one that's required. Cardinals aren't going to do that with Juan Soto, even if there are arbitration, because it's going to take a king's ransom to get him. 
And the Cardinals excuse would be, well, we got a lot of outfield options, not just at the major league level, but in the minors right now, shortstop, you've got nothing. So I will say more likely Xander Bogarts, which means neither of these are actually more likely to happen. Yeah. If I taking one of these, I would definitely say more likely the Cardinals get Xander Bogarts because there's a hole at shortstop. And to your point, it is going to be a King's ransom to get Juan Soto. Xander Bogarts, you could probably actually get him. I know we've thrown out the name. Oh, well, it's Nolan Gorman. It makes a ton of sense. It's, they need middle infield help. You could actually probably get Xander Bogarts for less than Nolan Gorman because uh, I thought, I think it was Ken Rosenthal said it on his podcast. You know, the, Manny Machado got dealt to the, the LA Dodgers for five prospects, and none of them were really highly touted prospects. Mookie Betts got traded for actually nobody that, I mean, other than Alex Verdugo. Be, who, and, and it's because there's no value because you're only mm-hmm. getting them for two months. So if anything, I'd say it's more likely that it'd be Xander Bogarts. <clears throat> I think it is as well, for what it's worth. Is there any scenario that you could see a possibility of the Cardinals going after Juan Soto? Because I don't think there is, is an inkling of a chance. No, not really. I mean, he's going to make $17 million this year, probably closer to like 20 to $25 million next year, and he might get close to $30 million There's, by the third year of his arbitration. 17 mil, did you say? There's, well, you said this is he's going into his first this year of arbitration. Is his first year of arbitration. Oh, okay. I, so I heard you wrong. There's three you. teams that that'll make this move: the Dodgers, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. I don't think the Red Sox would make this move. They kind I, of think, play, I think they would. They, I think cry, they cry poor as a big market. Yeah, I, I get sometimes. it, but when you got a guy like this, then you're like, oh yeah, no, we're good. This is Cohen written all over it. That's what this move is. Oh yeah, I didn't even yeah. think of that. Oh. Prospects. Yeah, but you're not going to trade them in division. You know who else I could see making a move like this? It's a little out of character, but he's so young that might they might do it. The Pittsburgh Pirates. <laughs> the San Francisco Giants. They're kind of looking for that next the, era yeah. of Giants baseball. The next Buster Posey. I, I could see them being a team that makes a big move like see, this. If you ask me a team not named the Dodgers in the West to do it, I would almost say the Padres. I just don't them. know. I don't know that they have the money. And I don't know if they yeah, have the money, they'd but they'd have man, to get their rid of GM knows Preller, he knows how to wheel and deal. 100%. I think it's going to be Yankees or Maybe Red the Sox. Rays. I could see. Yeah, I could see the Rays doing it. But I was going to say, I they're just going to trade them away again. I could see the Angels making a move for them, too. I mean, Angels they, make some uh, sense. The Blue, the Blue Jays might be the team to do it. They're aggressive, and they've okay. got enough young talent that they could trade from that group and the other, to be able to go acquire what they believe to be a superstar. Any other teams we want to throw in? Because I think we were just throwing like eight teams that could do That's it. Fair. The Cardinals? The Red, the, the Red Wings? No, I, don't I was going to say the Red Wings. The Tigers? The White Sox? If the Cardinals were to say, you know what, bleep it, we're going to go for this. What do you think is the best offer that they could throw out there? Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman, Matthew Levitore. I don't think there's any chance they include Jordan Walker in a conversation. Well, you ain't getting them then. It's it's basically your top five prospects. Tyler (laughs) O'Neill. Oh, yeah. He and his 195 batting average will get that done. I mean... Are you going to tell them the story about how he's close? <laughs> tell them the story about that one year where it wasn't a fluke. You were the ultimate hype man for Cardinals players Tim to get traded. Yesterday, by the way, this was an unbelievable story. Tim Kirchin <clears throat> relayed a story that he heard from Ollie Marmol, where apparently Saturday, and we heard Ollie tell us this, but we didn't hear the background of it. No. Uh, apparently Saturday, Tyler O'Neill came into a meeting with Skip Schumacher, Ollie Marmol, and the hitting staff, and he told them, hey, I feel like I'm getting really close. And Ollie looked at him and said, you're not close. You're behind one day, then you're ahead the next day. You're actually not close to working through this. Ah, the old Erher Brooks mentality of, uh, I want the player to hate me so they can't hate anybody else. I could never say that to O'Neal. I'd feel like he'd throw me through a wall. Yeah. Ah, so, nice. uh, yeah, maybe not as close as we were hoping for. But if we were to throw together a, a potential trade offer, I think it includes O'Neal or Carlson, one of those two major league outfielders. Carlson. 
I think it probably includes Gorman, Liberator. I think it. I think you got to throw Thompson. I bet they would want two starters. Sure, Thompson, Oviedo, McGreevy. Who I, throw any of those? Hudson, whoever they want out of that group, go ahead. Is there? A, you probably have to do one more, maybe. Liberator. Did you put Walker in the deal? Nope. No, I'm yeah, not making the deal. Walker's in that deal. I, I think it. I, I think Walker it would take Boston. I would think it would take something like Jordan Walker. And honestly, you could cut down the number of prospects by including him, of course. But I think it'd be like Walker, Liberator, or Liberator or Thompson. McGreevy, and then they would probably One take a look major at major league outfielders. Maybe potentially Carlson, probably because he's got the most club control, I believe. And that's how the Cardinals don't trade for Juan Soto. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line. More likely to happen: the Blues win Game Two or they win Game Three. Well then, uh, I'll say more likely they win Game Two. I think this is going to be a back and forth series. I really do. I think more this... likely they win Game Three. It's at home. Oh well. I didn't know BK interrupting people was going to show up this early. To be fair, I agree. It's our show. That's kind of how this goes. Did you say my show? That's what I heard. It's T-Bone and Company. Tanner? Sorry. I'd say more likely it's they win game three because, uh, one, I was not impressed with their game one performance, but two, Colorado's just so good at home. And I, I think they'll take care of business the first two games, and then they'll come here to St. Louis, and that's where the Blues will really have to take advantage of home ice. I could see them. I think it's more likely they just win game three. I think you guys are underestimating the ability for the Blues to react to a loss and flip the strip with their, with their game style. So I think game two is going to be a very similar game to what last night was. But less scoring opportunities for Colorado and more scoring opportunities for the Blues. I think you're underestimating the impact that this home crowd has on the Blues. I think you're underestimating how tough I am, and I could put you in the hospital. <laughs> 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. More likely to make a blockbuster move. The Cardinals at some point in the season or the Blues during their offseason? Blues during their offseason. I agree. Yeah, I'm not I even mean, sure this Doug Ar- close. Th- think of the offseasons that Tuck Armstrong has had. I mean, this past one was Pavel Buchnevich. The one prior to that was Tori Krug. The one prior to that with Justin Falk. Like um, the guy has been as greedy as possible in terms of going after another Stanley cup. So I I think this is another one. And not only that, but I mean, he's pulled off some of these big moves like the Justin Falk one, for example, while he had an elite defenseman too. Like he was basically preparing. Okay. In case I lose Petrangelo, I have Justin Falk on the back. He went out and got Pavel Buchnevich basically because he's like, we don't know what Tarasenko is going to be, but we're not trading him. So let's go get another guy who could be an elite scorer. Final one here from the four three four. More likely that Nolan oh, Arenado four, three, look that up. I'm Nolan Arenado finishes top five in the MVP, or Tyler O'Neill is sent to Memphis within the next five weeks. So for, by the end of June. First of all, uh, from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Thank you for texting in four three four. Now, what was the Love actual Virginia. question? Uh, more likely to happen. Nolan Arenado finishes top five in the MVP voting, or Tyler O'Neill sent down to Memphis by the end of June. I'll say it's more likely Arenado finishes top five. I, I just don't see how you send Tyler O'Neill down. Tyler O'Neill did everything you need to do at AAA. You sending him down is not going to make a difference. You're going to see AAA pitching, not major league pitching, and you're struggling against major league pitching. So I, I think there's no chance that that happens. So more likely Arenado finishes top five. Yeah, I think more likely Arenado finishes top five. One, because he's already playing like an MVP caliber candidate. And then two, I just don't know if you send O'Neill down because of what Alex said. I, I mean, 
I don't think you want to send him down and you have DeYoung down there. I mean, you're trying to build the most expensive AAA team in baseball, potentially. So I think their hope is he'll figure it out here at the Major League level, and I, I think he will. And it's not like we have the track record of DeYoung, where it was three years that he hadn't hit. They're going to give a lot more leeway to Tyler O'Neill than all DeYoung. I tend to agree. I, I mean, Nolan Arenado has been awesome so far this year. I was just looking at some of the candidates, by the way, or the, the top hitters in the National League. Among National League hitters with at least 50 at-bats so far this season, the Cardinals have Juan Yepes at four, Paul Goldschmidt at five, Nolan Arenado at six, and Tommy Edmond at 27, and Albert Pujols at 28, among the top guys in OPS+. They have, what is that, six of the top 28 players in the National League in OPS Plus so far this year? Damn. It's crazy. As much as the offense has been struggling, it they've got certain guys that are really... But I was told the offense is bad. Way. It is. That's the thing that's weird. Coming up in 15 minutes, let's get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. Alex has an unbelievable stat on the Blues' lack of secondary scoring this postseason. We'll get that for you coming up in 15 minutes. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you're going out to game number three or game number four at Enterprise I'll Center, be there. Alex there. will be there. No, you Tanner won't. Tanner will be there. Make sure you get there early to enjoy the Bud Light Happy Hour pregame party in the Anheuser-Busch Beer Garden, beginning two hours prior to puck drop. Enjoy live music, food, and drink specials, and you can stop by the 101 ESPN table to get registered to win a signed Blues jersey. Looks like we have Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, on the line right now. He's joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Uh, I believe Craig Berube just spoke with the media out there in Denver as well. Curves, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today after the rough loss by the Blues last night out in game number one? Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I know Colorado really took the momentum of that game and ran with it for a while, but uh, I'm encouraged by what we saw with Jordan Bennington, and uh, I love still what we saw from the special teams. And, and listen, and I know I tend to be a glass, you know, half full kind of guy, but, uh, or frankly, a glass always full kind of guy, but <laughs> fully full, <laughs> but the, you know, but, but the reality is guys is, uh, you know, that this is a coaching staff that is really, really good at making adjustments. So I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen in game two. I am two curves. And we just talked about that a little bit ago. Like I said, I think you're underestimating our people are underestimating the blues ability to um, react to a loss like that and adjust on the fly. What do you think some of those adjustments need to be though, for the blues? Listen, I, I don't know that the adjustments need to be all that big. I just think that for whatever the reason was, um, they, they just didn't get very good play out of their second and third lines, you know? And, and the, the thing of it is guys is the blues are a team that they are truly a team and have been built as a team now for a while. And I think you're seeing this with the Florida Panthers and, and, and some of the other teams as well, where you truly are a sum of your parts. You know, you're not the Edmonton Oilers where you've got two guys carrying everything to try to bail you out of every situation. Um, and when, when the, sum of those parts don't add up, when you know when when you're getting all the the defensive zone faceoffs and some of the 
neutral zone faceoffs that Robert Thomas had last night, and you lose the vast majority, if not all of them. Um, or when you do win it like he did in overtime, and then Jordan Cairo isn't hard enough on the puck, you know, to help clear it out of the zone or on, on the game-tying goal. You know, Vladimir Tarasenko, if he stops along the wall, he's got that puck, it clears out, it never gets up to the point where, you know, the, the avalanche hold it in and you get to Tave's shot. There, there's individual plays that pile up over the course of the game against this Colorado Avalanche team. And that's when they start to come at you in waves, especially in the second period. So I don't know that the adjustments have to be huge. I just think that the Blues have to trust their skill and play with the puck more and make stronger plays, especially in that second period. Curbs, we play a game called something or nothing here on the show occasionally. Is this something or nothing? Over the last three years, the Blues are 2-9-1 and one on the road in Colorado and 4-5 and five at home against the Colorado Avalanche. They've been outscored by the uh, Avs 28-49 to 49 on the road, and it's even when they play here in St. Louis. Is that something or nothing? No, it's clearly something, and I think it comes down to two things. I think it comes down to Jared Bednar getting the matchups he wants, and, and then, frankly, the, the impact that uh, the altitude in the second period have. Uh, Colorado is an extremely good second period. I think they were plus 21 or 22, something like that, uh, this season in the second period. And there's a reason for it. You've got that long change. And if you don't make really smart plays and dump it in, they, they are probably the best second period home ice team in the National Hockey League because of how they could take advantage of, of, of their style of play. So I, I think it clearly is something, and that's, that's why yesterday when, when the, the broadcasters met with Craig Berube, I asked specifically about the second periods. And, and he said exactly pregame to us what he said postgame to everybody, where you just you have to be willing to make plays with the puck. You have to be able to hold on to it. You've got to be smart so you don't get that avalanche coming at you during the, the second period. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I do, I mean, once you get it, like I'm a big trend guy, as you know, Brandon, and once you get a trend that spans a couple of years and starts to have big numbers like that, it clearly is something. One trend curves that we saw Blues have success with at the final three games of the matchup against Minnesota was 11 forwards and seven defensemen. And some of the players just talked about how it just is a little bit of simplicity with their roster, knowing that they have to be just as responsible on the defensive side as they do on the offensive side. Does that change for Craig Berube going into game two now that we saw the offense dwindle a little bit? Well, the only the only reason I think that it could change and, and is just the fact that uh, that having that extra forward to eat a few more minutes, uh, you know, and, and in this altitude, I think it makes a difference. Now, have you adjusted having been here a couple of days that that will wait to be seen? The, the, the flip side of it, the reason you think it won't change is they clearly want the approach of having Perunovic as a power play specialist out there, you know? And uh, so, you know, if, if he doesn't, if he plays, then a Cali Rosen wouldn't play or Nico Mikola wouldn't play. Um, and so, and then the question is, is who do you put in? Do you put in a big body like, like Logan Brown, who's not a terrific skater? Do you probably go with a better skater in, uh, in, in, in Walker, right? And a guy that'll just stir it up a little bit in front of the net. So the, that, that is going to be one of the adjustment questions we'll see. I, I just, right now, that power play is going so well that uh, I, I really, I, I think it's going to be a hard switch for them to make. If they do make that switch, does it necessitate the fact that they've got Marco Scandella back in the lineup, Curbs? Uh, I think you only make that switch. If for some reason there's there's a, a, 
I don't know, a fitness issue, for lack of a better way of putting it. That's not saying that people are out of shape. It's just, you know, how things go here in Colorado, right? Um, and, and you trust me, I mean, you, you can feel it walking to the rink, you know, if, if, if you put in some some exercise. That kind I of tried thing. working out there uh, once, Curbs. It was the worst decision I've ever tried to make in my life. Did not go well. well. Yeah, like you no, and I'm not and, a pro athlete. How long, athlete, did, it, but how long did it take you to feel like you caught your breath and were kind of back to normal? It, it, the, like, the rest of the day. <laughs> I went there, tried to do my normal workout, and it went real poorly. Yeah, I mean, so and and I've asked I've, you. You talk to everybody, even the Colorado players, and and it is real. Now, it's not an excuse, but it is it is an advantage. Just as just as hitting at Coors Field, where I'm going to be in about 45 minutes, is an advantage, or pitching is a disadvantage, right? So th- th- there is that to it, but and that's why I think Colorado plays to that advantage. You know, they're like they're they're kind of like Whitey Herzog saying, I'm just going to build a speed team and a defensive team on this turf and see if somebody can outrun and outdefend us in the 80s, right? I mean, and, and the Avs have kind of figured out how to do that, especially in the second period on home ice. Uh, to, to me, if you're, if you're going to make that move, yes, I think it necessitates uh, Marco Scandella coming back in. And, and guys, and I watched him skate yesterday. Could he probably get out there and play? Yes. But I don't know that it's effective enough, and I don't know if he's healed, and I, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him. I don't know if he's healed enough based on what we saw the last time he was in a game, and he clearly was nowhere near. I, I don't think he was 70% in that game, despite the heart that he gave to battle through it. So I just don't know that Marco's ready yet. Yeah, a quick follow-up on that, Curbs. Any update on Tory Crew? We know that he went on this trip, uh, Craig Brewery said, for rehab purposes. Guys, I don't expect Tory Krug in this series. Now I have I have not seen him, right? But if you look at the fact of when he was injured two or three weeks ago, and he has yet to skate with his teammates, normally after you've been out that long, and it's clearly a lower body injury, and it's clearly something serious enough that he hasn't been able to get out there and really even tested much with his teammates. I, I think you're at least a, a, a week, if not two or three away, you know, from from that kind of opportunity there. So I'm. That, that's that's one that I kind of pencil automatically in on the scratches, and, and you move forward expecting him not to play. Curbs, final one. You mentioned the uh, Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich line. We talked with Shane Knighty, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights color commentator, and he was on the TNT call last night, and, and he basically said a really strong statement by him saying that he didn't even realize Tarasenko was dressed in the game because he didn't see him on the ice. What needs to change if Craig Bruby is going to keep that line together? Uh, I don't know that you can keep that line together. I, I don't think that that line has been very good for this team since all those streaks ended. Okay, so th- that's that's point number one. Number two, they got to play with each other. They got to play for each other. They got, they've, they've got to play and get engaged. I mean, the fact that you had basically that whole line go without a shot on goal is, is crazy. You know, Robert Thomas's passing wasn't very good last night. Uh, the plays they were making were off. Um, I mean, at one point, Joe was even wondering if, if Tarasenko might be hurt a little bit. Uh, or, or feeling something, and that's the one thing in the playoffs I always caution because you just never know, guys. I mean, with, with the way injuries are, are hidden and stuff. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll go back to I think it was 2002, 2003 in Vancouver, and, I mean, nobody knew that Bryce Salvador was dealing with a wrist injury that whole series, right? So there, there are things like that, but they, they've just going to – honestly, they, I think – guys, I think you got to just pull the old Keith Kachuk out. you just got to play better. I mean, you just, you're just going to have to want it more than the other guys and win some battles. And, uh, again, you look at the the second and the third goal scored by Colorado. First goal by Nachushkin, great save by Bennington. Nachushkin, you give him credit, he found the rebound and put it in. The other two goals were scored after the Blues had possession or won a faceoff and then lost the, ball, the battle. 
for a loose puck. And that can't happen against Colorado. They extend the zone time, and they burn you by putting it in, or you end up in the penalty box. You win some of those battles, guys. And, yeah, Colorado, look, Colorado's going to outshoot the Blues in this series nearly every game. Expect it. That's the style of play they have. It's a different style than the Blues, who don't go for quantity. They go for quality in a different way. Colorado goes for quantity and then just crashes the net. That, that's expected. But you've, just, you've got to win some more puck battles than this team won, and that, that's just simply getting after it and being more competitive. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. You'll hear him tomorrow night on game number two. Puck drop for that one tomorrow at 8.50 right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy yourself out there in Denver, and we'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Have a great day. See you guys. It's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. I've got an update for you on those second period numbers that Kerbs referenced. We'll get to that on the other side. And Alex has an unbelievable stat for you that we'll get next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. the Rizzuto show no chance they win this time around in the softball home run derby aren't there we got this hosted by the O'Fallon Hoots taking place June the 4th why do I always think that is January 4th it's not a dome man out at Car Shield Field in O'Fallon it's as nice as a brand new dome would be it's beautiful out there it's all presented by Mattress Direct didn't do us any favors by hitting home runs but maybe Rick Ankeel Ray Langford Daniel Descalso and Raphael for call will have better luck GA tickets on sale right now for $15. $15. Get all the details for this year's O'Fallon Hoots Home Run Derby at 101 ESPN. You know there's an R at the end of that word, right? Dalla. It's a dollar. Okay. Dalla, dollar bill, y'all. Dalla, dollar bill, y'all. T-Bone, who said it? He doesn't know. No. Snoop Dogg. Alex, <laughs> you have an unbelievable stat on the scoring or the lack thereof, frankly, that I the do? Blues have had secondarily. What is it? I do. I, I do, do indeed. So the Blues have scored 309 goals in the regular season. A hundred and eight of those 309 goals came from Braden Shen, Ivan Barbashev, Vladimir Tarasenko, and I'm sorry, Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich from those four 108 goals have been scored. Those four Shen, Barbie, Thomas, Buch. They have zero goals and zero shots on goal in one game against the Colorado avalanche. It's not what you want. That is a massive issue. And if you go even further than that, they have what one goal. So far in this series? All right. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. I'm sorry. Yeah, the playoffs. And that was against right, the Minnesota Wild. Shin, right? Yep. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Um, and then the second period stat that Curb shared with us, the, uh, the abs are very good in the second period. Frankly, the Blues have been better this year, but the abs at home has scored 56 goals in the second period. They're a plus 15 on the road. They get a little worse in those uh, situations. They're just a plus seven. They've scored 43 goals in the second period. Uh, on the road, but the Blues have been better on the road in the second period than Colorado's been at home in the second period. It's the it, it really might be that elevation that that is something that has been an issue for them. I just think the adjustments are going to be very beneficial in this series for Game Two. Talk about those tomorrow for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101ESPN.com. The free 101ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Fast Lane coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.